So I have with me once again Seamus from the Free Thought Profit Podcast. Shout out to your co-host, the awesome John Hamill. As I said last time, hopefully all three of us will get to get will get together again, either on this show or your show, when we're not talking about the spooky occult stuff. And uh yeah, we had a pretty epic conversation last time. I figured I'd offer Wow, I just hit something. Yeah, we had a pretty epic conversation last time. Maybe someday I'll still try to do something with the audio despite the technical issues just so it doesn't go to waste because that was definitely good and we covered a lot of topics. I think we started off talking about Trump and politics. Then we talked about some high-profile skeptics who have been embroiled in sexual misconduct scandals. And eventually we... Yeah, okay. And eventually we got to my favorite (laughs) part of the conversation, the weird stuff. We talked in depth about Gnosticism and the occult, about David Lynch and Twin Peaks specifically, and you went on to tell me about the supposed Gnostic symbolism within the show. So, um, okay, so this has actually got to lead up to the first very uh, long-winded question, but I don't know if there's anything you want to interject so far or whatever before I continue. Uh, no, that just that, uh, yeah, uh, For as far as the topics go, especially uh, the occult and stuff, uh, definitely not John's uh, cup of tea, so that's the, kind of the biggest reason you just got me tonight. Uh, and I think that, uh, I think it goes without saying that uh, the three of us will be sat down and having uh one too many or 18 too many drinks sometime soon again in front of a microphone. Yeah, I was going to so. say, I'll, I'll try to drink like a partial, uh, the partial Irishman I am. Because I know last time, me and you, I think I, I oh, that was, I only had, I made, I made a disgrace to myself. I only had, uh, I think I had two hard ciders. Well, you guys step it up this time then. Well, this, I got work tomorrow at like seven, which is, uh, so I'm actually drinking, uh, now, now I've even further disgraced my uh, quarter Irish heritage because now I'm uh, I'm drinking Pepsi Zero and brisk iced tea, switching oh, back and forth. Isn't that adventurous? But <laughs> yeah, I have to I have to get up at like seven tomorrow, and I'm gonna have to drive to uh, the city of Newton to to do a job, and uh, I'll probably be stuck in traffic for like an hour at least in the morning. So that's going to suck big time. Um, and dude, just to let you know, this is going to be like the longest question you've probably already, you've probably ever been asked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So I think the thing I really wanted to tackle by us talking about the occult, and we may have touched on this the last time we talked for like four hours. So we probably did is how do we as non-believers as skeptics, reconcile our skepticism with an interest in the occult and i'm kind of using the royal we here and i guess there's different ways hypothetically you could go about it you could view the occult ceremonial magic the supernatural whatever is nothing more than make-believe myth fiction hokum bs or whatever but still nevertheless find it fascinating and enjoy reading up on it etc Or I guess you could technically be an atheist, someone who denies or doubts the existence of a creator god, but who still leaves the door open to the paranormal. 
for example, it's always kind of seems strange to me, but I know there are people out there who consider themselves atheists but still believe in things like ghosts or psychic phenomena. Lastly, I guess you could take a kind of figurative or psychological approach to things like cer ceremonial magic, where you think it might work in a sense, but that it has more to do with focusing your will and conditioning yourself to get what you want. So the rituals are pretty much psychological or, or symbolic, still effective in a sense, but there's nothing spooky or supernatural going on. Kind of like uh, self-help techniques, but with robes and candles. Um, like, I think Crowley's system, Thelema, and I think Thelema actually means uh, will, if I'm not mistaken, is kind of like that. Although I don't know how literally Crowley believed in the various Egyptian gods and other deities he evokes in his writings. And uh, chaos magic, which, which I've been studying up on after getting into the last podcast on the left, I'm not even sure it necessarily requires any belief in the supernatural. Probably depends on how you want to look at it. It could be symbolic, self-help slash self-actualization exercises, or you could view it as tapping into some cosmic power in order to make your will or desires manifest. And I'm sure that's probably the longest question you've ever been asked, but I just really wanted to lay out what I was talking about in an orderly way. But in short, do you believe in anything spooky? And if so, how do you square that with your atheism or your unbelief? Okay, that's the end of that. That was an epic <laughs> question, right? <laughs> yeah. That was huge, uh, right? Where do I start? <laughs> well, I, I tried to uh. offer those three possibilities you know, possible kind of permutations or avenues That's where you might be someone who's a hardcore skeptic, but who's still fascinated by stuff like uh, right. werewolves and folk tales and, uh, you know, Crowley or whatever. Or you might be someone who doesn't believe in a creator God who thinks, you know, organized religion is a bunch of toxic BS. But you still leave the door open for the airy fairy stuff and might believe there's some kind of cosmic power out there. Or you might be someone who believes in, like, ceremonial magic and stuff like that. Gotcha. But, but who thinks the <clears throat> exercises are just symbolic. Excuse and it's Oh, no problem. It's kind of a way to focus your will, but there's nothing spooky going on. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So do you want me to answer now? Oh, or? yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let it rip, man. Uh, I think the short answer is uh, I don't I, – I am definitely a skeptic at this point. Uh, can I <laughs> – with the amendment being that I'm an open-minded skeptic, uh, I don't know if that's a, the right way to say it. Um, what I mean by that is, uh, I wouldn't, uh, openly dismiss everything, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, what paranormal is paranormal, right? Isn't that just the unexplained? Is it not the same thing? Or am I mis misinterpreting that, uh, as well, well? Well, in a way, um, I guess it all comes down to, uh, definitions and how you parse right. it, but you could argue that maybe there's some wacky stuff going out on out there in the universe but once it's discovered it just becomes a part of natural law or becomes a part of the known universe right whatever, that, you know as far as like supernatural versus the natural i kind of think that uh supernatural has become kind of a just a label um mm -hmm. uh, something that we throw on to, to things we don't understand or that we presuppose that are somehow uh 
actually occurring whenever they may not be, or at least within the mechanics that uh, we don't understand, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, but Yes, uh, um, I was going to say, and I don't want to seem like one of those people that uh, drives, because ske- I'm a skeptic, that drives skeptics crazy by abusing and misusing quantum terminology and stuff, right, yeah. you know, like a uh, Deepak Chopra or something like that. But there is all that weird stuff like uh, quantum non-locality, I think it is. Like stuff like atomic particles being in more than one place at the same time. And the possibility of um, multiple universes, that there might be a whole multiverse out there of bubble universes and all this stuff. So it seems like even um, physics... uh, especially our quantum theory and whatnot, leaves the door open for some really wacky stuff. Whether or not you could technically call that supernatural, I I guess from the scientific point of view, it's just, um, it's science that's kind of hard to wrap your head around. Oh, absolutely. Um, You need to get John on here for that part. No, we should should definitely talk about that stuff sometime. And and I have to say, like, we probably talked about this last time, uh, and here I am kind of, grilling you on this stuff and i know it's kind of a a tough thing to kind of have to answer or clarify but if i was gonna put my my cards on the table i would say you know i'm someone who from an early age was very interested in the supernatural the paranormal um from an early age even though i was scared easily by horror movies and stuff as a kid i was also like always from a young age, a documentary, documentary junkie, stuff on psychic phenomena, on werewolves, uh, all that type of stuff, um, miracles, whatever. And I think, uh, like I've talked about the show before, I, I think part of why I'm a skeptic, other than maybe, you know, I'm naturally inclined to be skeptical, is that um, I feel like I've read so much and, and, and watched so many documentaries, often as, you know, a kid and a young person growing up, hoping beyond hope that they were going to prove this stuff was real. Right. And they never do. And so I think, I forget who said this, but something like inside every skeptic is kind of a disappointed believer or something like that. And I think that's definitely me in a way where I really want to believe in all this stuff. And I think at this point, if I was going to lay my cards on the table, I if I if I had the bet, you know, I lean towards the side that consciousness is an emergent property of the brain. It's not what I want to be true, but most likely, my guess, yep. upon brain death, it, it's lights out. And since I've never personally seen any ghosts or anything like that, and in, in the supernatural, the faith claims of religions can't seem to be, you know, vetted or don't hold any water when put to the test. There doesn't seem to be any good, solid evidence for life after death or, you know, all religions seem man-made. So at the end of the day, yeah, I'm very skeptical and I I lean towards the side that most likely there's no higher power, there's no afterlife. And once again, I'm not saying that's what I want to be true, but I I value truth very deeply. I'm not not trying to uh, joke here, but uh, I almost have a religious zeal towards the truth. It's probably the closest thing I have to religion in the sense where I feel like there's a certain duty or dignity in, in, in trying to 
dedicate yourself to the truth or wanting to know the truth and not just placate y yourself with whatever's going to make you feel good and, and, and help you feel cozy while you try and make it through this veil of tears. I, I want to really know what the actual truth is. And, um, and at the same time, I'm still fascinated by that stuff that fascinated me as a kid. I'm still fascinated by vampires and werewolves, psychic phenomena, uh, astral projection. I still find people like Aleister Crowley uh, um, very fascinating and pro probably not a... And I even find religion very fascinating and a lot of the stories I find symbolic right. value in and stuff. And not a day of my life goes by that I think I don't think about religion or think about the paranormal or that I find something inspirational about myth. But it's just at the end of the day, I, I don't see the evidence. And I think we talked about this last time too, but there is that part of me. Like you read up on Crowley or something like that. And uh, you almost wish that it did work or part of you is tempted to wonder if it could work. If I did draw some crazy sigil on the ground, could I really summon something <laughs> or, you know, or... um. Even with like stuff like chaos magic, or you know, even like Crowley's uh, Thelema, or whatever, you know, you wonder. It's like, hmm, could I get what I want in life by using these practices? Is there anything to it? And as part of you that you know, I'm speaking for myself here, but that, and you can probably relate. That's like tempted, that wants to believe, or thinks that maybe there is some chance. But then there's the other part that you know, the skeptic. That's like. Yeah, I can see why you want to believe, but most likely no. And uh, but I mean, I do think there can be some value to things like symbolic ritual and stuff like that, and that it probably does work in some way, just on a symbolic kind of psychological suggestion type of level, uh, where you might be priming or conditioning yourself to be more confident or to have that. Thing that you're after, that you want in life, more, even maybe on a subconscious level, you're more focused on it and more likely to take the steps to get it now that you've done these little symbolic rituals where you're focusing on it. But I don't know if anything I'm talking about makes sense. If anything I said, uh, you know. No, not um, at all. You, you lost me. I'll, I'll talk to you later. No, just, <laughs> nah. just no uh, I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, and uh, like the whenever we talked before, I mean, uh, a lot of parallels between us and uh, our interest in, in these things. Uh, I mean, I always, you know, thought this and, you know, the uh, horror film creatures, you know, Dracula, mm -hmm. Wolfman, all that kind of stuff. I was always into that as a kid. And then you get older and then you, you get into different things like music. And that's how I found uh uh, Alistair Crowley was through Jimmy Page oh, and, yeah. David, and David Bowie, you know, so I mean, that's, you know, so then you kind of get into that. And of course, playing role playing games, they play Dungeons and Dragons and Rifts and Paladin and all that kind of stuff. Nice. So, uh, which actually, uh, I don't know if uh, I'll share a weird experience before I go on, just because I mentioned that. Um, so I just like started reading about some of these things. And not really understanding at all, okay? Because I was probably 16 at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was myself, my cousin, my neighbor, and like three other kids we hung out with. 
went to a, this new kid in town, right, uh, mm-hmm. who had come to school and kind of like, you know, slowly worked his way into our group uh, and wanted to play some games. Well, he had this guy that always was like, that he knew, they kept on talking about uh, this guy named Scott, who was like a dungeon master, you know. He's the guy that you want to have play a game and all this stuff. So he shows up and, you know, he we're like all teenagers and he's like 30. You know, okay. He's he, yeah. He's living in his mom's mom's basement. You know that typical, right? You know, right. Uh, stereotypical uh, douchebag. But you know, <laughs> we're all like in like you know because the things he's talking about, we're all kind of like, wow, this guy, you know, he can play, and you know, well, we start talking about magic and the paranormal, and he's like, yes, I have a copy of the Necronomicon. I was going <laughs> to uh, bring it over here to you guys, but it hid from me. We're like, what? <laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes the book hides from me. We're all like, what the, what the fuck is he talking about? So uh, basically, uh, later on, because he kept on, you know, being real arrogant and you know, pompous and whatnot, and uh, so you know, me and my 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 cousin, because we were pretty close, started messing with him because we kind of thought, you know, this guy's being a douche. And uh, so he, uh, my cousin Dan's like. Uh, so what all stuff are you into? All oh, you know, I've done, you know, uh, magic incantations and black magic rituals. You know, I've been a part of some things you guys don't even want to know about. And he's like, oh, is that anything like, uh, James, what, what's that book you got, you're reading about Led Zeppelin? You know, who is that guy? And I was like, Alistair Crowley he goes, oh, that's poppycock. That's nothing. That is nowhere near the realm of what I'm talking about. Oh, you know? Jesus. And I'm like, okay, well, enlighten us, you know, because I'm like, I have no idea, you know. You know, thinking, well, maybe he does know something, you know. And he's like, oh, that's nothing. Well, then later on, uh, the kid's house who we're at, he talks Scott into reading our auras, right? Oh, okay. So he reads everybody in the room's auras as like a lighter color, except for my cousin and me. He was like green, and I was a dark blue. <laughs> And, like, within five minutes, I can't explain this, we both got sick. Interesting. And we were both, both like, deathly sick for, like, 48 hours. So Wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I saw the guy afterwards, like, about uh, maybe a year later. And I, I was less impressed with him then. But, you know, at the time, I'm thinking, did that fucker put a hex on me? Right. <laughs> you know I mean? so I'm growing up thinking that, you know, some fucking... Asshole put a hex on me because I'm bringing up Alistair Crowley and Jimmy Page, you know. Right, that's interesting. Like, uh, but it's funny you mentioned the Necronomicon because I, I have like have childhood memories about that, or like in my mid to late teens. And it's funny because I did an episode, a documentary episode, on the Necronomicon. It's funny the way teenagers work. You know, you hear, ooh, there's this spooky book, the Necronomicon, yep. that lets you summon the dead, and there's all these incantations in it. And you see it on, you know, the, the shelf at the local bookstore or whatever. And, uh, like, oh, maybe it's the real deal. I mean, there it is. I, I can hold it. I can buy it. I can read from it. And then, uh, and, and I can remember probably being in my late teens. This, I mean, at that at that point, I was probably already, like, closing the door on Christianity at the time I was probably what you would call, I was probably agnostic at that point, but I was still, you know, I was still young and a little superstitious and a little easily spooked or whatever. And something happened when me and my friends were like messing with the, the Necronomicon, the Simon Necronomicon, as they call it. Gotcha. And I, I ended up throwing it 
over my backyard fence. And the Simon Necronomicon is, uh, that's the one you find in the bookstores and stuff. And um, it's, I mean, the Necronomicon is, it's an invention of New England horror writer uh, H.P. Lovecraft. I'm a huge Lovecraft fan. And Lovecraft used to like to add a sense of realism to his stories by having like these kind of historical touchstones or references or whatever. So, or like threads throughout his, his short stories. And kind so pre Tolkien, right? What, what's that? Kind of pre Tolkien esque kind of writing at times. Yeah. Well, so he invented the Necronomicon and the Necronomicon was one of these books that he would, uh, refer to repeatedly and it it gave uh it gave it a sense of gravitas like you like oh maybe it's real because he keeps referencing it in his different stories and he's talking about people hunting for it and everything and supposedly it translates to book of the dead and uh it's hard to say book of the dead without thinking of uh evil dead i'm a fan of evil dead (laughs) movies but um i think the closest thing in history is uh there's the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which is far different, far different than yes. the Necronomicon. The Egyptian Book of the Dead, I think it's basically like a collection of what you would find on tomb walls, and, and, and et cetera. It's uh, kind of like a sacred um, religious text, uh, a, lot meant to, a lot of it meant to help usher the dead through the underworld and stuff like that. It's, it's not some spooky book for summoning... Uh, evil elder gods or anything like that or you know raising uh zombies up or whatever um yeah but uh then eventually the simon necronomicon was crafted uh and i'm trying to think like they they borrowed some stuff in there from ancient mesopotamian religion and myth uh a lot of it is just bullshit some of it's uh borrowed from Lovecraft, but the names are spelled differently, like Cthulhu or Cthulhu is spelled differently, etc. But it's clearly a work of fiction. But when you're a uh, 16 or 17-year-old metalhead and you don't know any better, you know, you think you have your hands on some magical tome or something. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would say like the, the Benton Book of the Dead is closer to even some of the stuff Lovecraft talked about. Oh, I forgot. I forgot yeah. about that, dude. The Tibetan Book of the Dead. Yeah. Because I went through a phase. I don't. I don't like saying a phase because I still feel like I learned a lot from <laughs> studying Buddhism, and I kind of incorporated a lot of those lessons into my personality. Nothing supernatural. Like I don't believe in. I don't literally believe in karma. I, I do believe in some kind of societal cause and effect. Like if you treat people shitty, they're more likely to treat you shitty. But I don't believe in karma as a cosmic force. I, I strongly doubt things like reincarnation, etc. But things like compassion, things like uh, respect for all life forms, things like embracing the impermanence, of your own life and and of everything else in the universe and trying to come to grips with it about trying to, you know, uh, let go of your ego stuff like that, that I learned from Buddhism. I still kind of hold dear, but yeah, I actually read the Tibetan book of the dead. Um, 
I was actually talking about it not that long ago with a friend's mother at a party. Um, yeah, and that's kind of almost similar to the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Kind of, kind of like about preparing for the afterlife and the various yep. phases of moving through it, the bardo and all that. Um, yeah, I mean that's interesting though. The thing about you getting sick with the aura reading, because no, because I think like all of us, no matter how skeptical you are, there's probably things you could go back to. You know, in your life, you can find some kind of spooky story you have trouble explaining. For me personally, I don't really have any supernatural stories I can't explain. I have like some secondhand accounts from family members that, to be honest, I don't really think add up to much. And it probably has to do with the suspension of disbelief and stuff. The gotcha. the, the closest I have, like my two older brothers who used to share a room growing up, talking about seeing something white fly across the room over their beds and thinking they saw a ghost. I mean, did they kind of, you know, suspend disbelief to some degree? Did one of them throw like a white sheet or pillowcase and just go along, you know, go along with the story? Did a headlight beam cut through the room? It's, you know, I'm not, I mean, who knows, maybe something spooky happened, but I doubt it. My guess is there's a very down-to-earth uh, explanation if we could go back in time and see what happened in that room. Oh, no um, doubt. I mean, same thing with me and my cousin getting sick. I'm sure there's a reason. Uh, at the time, it, it didn't sink in. You know, there's, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't eat anything alike, you know, or eat anything different from, from anybody in the, in the house that night. You know, there was nothing just other than the fact we both got sick. Maybe our, uh, we both of our immune deficiencies were lower than everybody else, and we were all exposed to the same thing, and me and him got sick yeah. because of it. Could that would make more sense to me, you know? Could have been like so. a twenty-four hour flu or something. Yeah, just but, a happenstance yeah. that we both got it, you know. And you also have to ask, it's like why let's say for the sake of argument, auras are real, reading auras is real. I I don't know yeah. much about it. Why would you get sick necessarily from someone <laughs> right. you know right. what I mean, reading your aura? Why would yeah. that make you uh, ill? It, it, you know? It's just it's just uh uh what we are. We're pattern seeking mammals, so we're always looking yeah. for a reason of why uh, you know. What plus X equaled this, you know? What plus me being sick got me, you know? Uh, got you two sick. guys had the dark auras, so you were the evil ones. And, yeah. and being having your evil nature unveiled made you uh, sick like a vampire being exposed Something. to sunlight. Right. That's <laughs> so. But uh, uh. Uh, I still hold on to things that I shouldn't at times. And I think it's just a uh, habit. Uh, I I, I know. I mean, you've talked a little bit about sports, you know. Yeah. Like, I'm a huge uh, hockey fan, diehard Penguin fan, and I'll catch myself, you know, like, oh, did I wear this shirt before? You know, that right, kind of right. like, jinx shit, you know, which is all shit. But I'll catch myself still doing it. Uh, I'll catch myself, uh, you know, what's the old adage? Uh, you know, man, I hope I don't have a bad day. Knock on wood. Right. 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 You know, we all. I mean, you continually do those things. It doesn't mean I believe in it. You know, but I still, I absolutely do find uh, things with uh, Crawley and, you know, the occult in general just fascinating. You tell me that there's, uh, you know, a documentary on any of that tonight, I'm going to be, uh, you know, either DVRing it or watching it, one of the two. You know, it's, that's just, you know. 
it's definitely fun. Like my idea of like fun or relaxation is like, for some reason I love going to sleep to documentaries. So like I have, I don't know if it's public or not. It very might well be, um, on my YouTube channel, I have a Crowley playlist. That's just all Crowley documentaries. And I'll I'll listen to that shit and just fall asleep to it and sleep like a baby. It's funny because other people, that's probably oh I'll do I'll do the same thing with like documentaries on hell or demonology and stuff. <laughs> Other people, the idea of that I'd probably give them the heebie-jeebies. To me, no that's doubt. that's something to like snuggle under the covers and just like <laughs> oh you know have sweet dreams or whatever. It's like um, but let's say like let's say Crowley had no powers and okay. he was just a demented pervert with uh you know who's interested in the paranormal you know whatever um still at the end of the day that would just be like such a fascinating guy right like this you know kind of like half crazed but very smart charismatic drug addict fucking you know a cult enthusiast or whatever uh you know and thinking about his kind of depraved adventures and stuff just, uh, I mean, just the story, the superficial story would be, is, is extremely entertaining. Um, so, like, do, is there any part of you that wonders if Crowley actually did have any, pa- maybe this will be a two-part question, okay. that, that wonders if he did have any powers, or, um, and also, you might know more than me, uh, Thelema. Okay. Which I think does mean it means will, right? Isn't it like Greek or something for will? I think I think you're right. I'm, and, I'm uh, Google that myself. Yeah, and um, it seemed like there was a heavy infinite, uh, emphasis on will for Crowley. Um, Still there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm just, I'm trying to Google it too. Yeah, it says Thelema roughly means will in Greek. Um, Yeah, and he has lots of quotes about will. Um, Now do thou uh, do what thou will for us the law. Yep. Um, Was it uh, love is the law? Love under will. I think we yeah we were talking about this uh, last time. And he talks about finding your will and doing it. You know, and uh, and it's funny. I've so people who kind of demonize Crowley or look at him as like this sinister, uh, this like sinister force or whatever, um, they try to say that he literally meant um, just in the most depraved, debauched, selfish way possible, um, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, whatever, that you should really just go out in the street and do whatever you feel like it. Right. And then right. you have like, I don't know if you'd call them Crowley apologists or maybe people who are more well versed in, in, in you know in Crowley and his his history and his writings will say this talk about will means finding kind of your path in life what you think you should be doing and not letting anything stand in your way and finding a way to actualize it like almost like self actualization like you might say in self-help or, or therapy terms or whatever, you know, finding who you're supposed to be and then making that manifest and not letting people deter you from the path or whatever. Um, 
But and, and then you know because Crowley was shrouded in a kind of a like there's a lot of dark twisted stories surrounding him. Some which I think were even promoted or propagated by him himself right. um, to add to his own mystique and some maybe by detractors. But I think we talked about like, was it a Sheffalo or Cefalu or Cefalo, whatever it is, the place in Italy where some really crazy stuff went yeah. down yeah. Yeah. where he tried to make his woman of the moment, you know, um, have intercourse with a goat for some kind of magical purposes and uh, someone so, else got deathly ill there. What what were we talking about? Like from yeah, possibly they, eating they excrement. Ate, they uh, drank uh, cat's blood. Cat's blood. And I don't know if there was something yeah. about excrement. But it's funny, like in uh, Crowley has that famous book of poetry, White Stains. And there's stuff in there about like, I think it's called like copophagia or whatever. Like basically a f- fetish of shit eating. There's yeah. stuff in there about eating brown globes, fresh from their home divine and all, all this like crazy stuff. Um, and, and so it seemed like he tried to, to some degree paint himself as a boogeyman and so did his detractors. But at the same time, he also seemed to think that he was misunderstood. And, and in fairness to him, I think a lot of thought and care did go into crafting his belief system and his writings. You know what I mean? So... Um, it wasn't all this kind of dark, evil, sinister, debauchery stuff. I think he really did uh, have this belief system that he thought could better your life if you adhered to it and embraced it. And he did put a lot of thought and care in, into crafting it. I yeah, think. that's that's kind of how I read the Thelema. Is more of the self-help kind of idea. You know what I mean? Uh, but I... Uh, I think the real debate, though, uh, about what his own beliefs were, because did he just kind of uh, come to the idea of Thelema, if you read between the lines, because that's a whole other conversation, right? Um, Did he kind of solve this puzzle or come to this kind of thesis by reading and getting into all the hermatics, right? Mm -hmm. Or did he actually believe all the hermatics and this was some sort of... uh, you know, a euphoric uh, situation. Oh, came I get you. You know I get you. Well, so it's, it's kind of like, is was he in fact uh, a devotee of some of the things that he was into, or was he, as some people say, that he was a charlatan who at the same time was a genius, you know, you know that right. was able to, you know, have these moments of clarity or uh, gravitas and, and put forth these new age ideas you know, bringing in the, uh, you know, the millennium and all these kinds of things or, uh, was he just, yeah, yeah. Or was he just, uh, you know, the Jim Morrison of his time, you know, and I don't mean, and I'm not dismerging, you know, Jim Morrison. Oh, how dare you? I'm just just kidding. You know, I'm a Doors freak. I am too. So I, I uh, but, uh, you know, was he just like, as far as like Morrison, like uh, a, deb- a, deb- a debauched rock star? Yes. That's right. exactly what I'm trying to say. Yes. That's well, it's, exactly. it's, it's so. fine. If you follow his life story, Crowley's, I mean, he came from, uh, a very religious home and, uh, I'm trying to, it might've been called like the Plymouth brethren or something yes. like that. Yes. And his father 
died and he was left with his mother. And I think he thought, he thought his mother was very overbearing and he kind of liked rebelling. And uh, he also wanted to rebel against the Christianity he was indoctrinated into. And I think by the time he was in his teens, he was already writing like really kind of racy, erotic, um, borderline like blasphemous poetry. And he was doing stuff like trying to bed the the maid on his mother's bed and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, you know, like, uh, and, and, and then he was kind of like in his early adulthood, he was pushing the limits with stuff like, uh, you know, mountain climbing and stuff like that. And then he started to get interested in all the, because di- uh, the occult and spiritualism, that type, that was really big in the 19th century. And uh, so he got involved with the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and stuff like that and uh, became close with uh, Mathers and stuff like that. And uh, it's interesting because, yeah, at some points, I think Crowley would say stuff like, it doesn't even really matter if all this is real or not. What matters yeah. is kind of the will and 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 what you can kind of achieve for yourself with it and that kind of thing. And, um, but then on the other hand, I think he also said, but that being said, I have seen evidence of the supernatural, but it's not a big deal. It's not what, where the focus should be. And I think he claimed that when he was in, I forget the name of the woman who was in his life at that time, but when, uh, when he was in the Great Pyramid, the Chamber of the Great Pyramid. Oh, that was his first wife, wasn't it? Um, was it's gone drive me nuts. That I can't think of the it name. It was on her honeymoon, wasn't it? When they yes, went there? yes. And he yeah. claims that the chamber, which was you know so black, so dark, you, you could you couldn't see anything, that it became illuminated. Yeah. And he claimed that was like a supernatural uh, phenomenon or whatever. But he was kind of like, oh. No big deal. I can make it happen, but that's not really where the focus should be. And that's but, after, um, after that, he uh, what was visited by Alawas or Alawasi, if I'm pronouncing I, right. Oh, is it uh, Iowas, I think? Yeah, he started writing yeah. the, book, or the, his, the Book of his, the Law. Right? Yeah, his holy guard, guardian angel, Iowas. Was it Rose, maybe, that I'm thinking that's of? That's it. Right. Yeah, because she um she supposedly surprised him by being like a conduit for receiving information from the other side or from the gods. It comes to women. I associate him with Celia because of that uh, poem. The poem when Celia farts. Yeah, I think that's fucking hysterical. (laughs) When Celia farts, tis tis earthquakes hour (laughs) or something like that. I'm an asshole, so, you know. <laughs> no, dude, that makes me laugh, too. That's actually in one of the Crowley documentaries that's in my playlist. They talk about that. And, yeah, if you go to my, uh, hopefully it's public. Yeah, if, I have so many playlists on my uh, podcast YouTube channel. It's ridiculous. I probably have, like, a thousand subscriptions, and the, the majority of playlists have nothing to do with my content. It's just stuff <laughs> I like. Um, And, uh... What the heck was I going to say? Yeah, something about... uh, So we're talking about Crowley, and I'm wondering if we've kind of like... Yeah, yeah, but we were talking about whether or not Crowley believed it. It's like, who knows? On the one hand, it's like he may have taken a symbolic approach to it himself, but obviously took it seriously enough that he embraced all that as a lifestyle. Um, 
but at the same time, you know, he would go as far as to, like, purchase the uh, Boleskin house, you know, by Loch Ness, which, of course, you know, Jimmy Page would end up right. buying because he was a Crowley devotee or whatever. Um, and I think it was the Abramelin ritual, the Abramelin operation or working that he did in the Boleskin house. Crowley, not Page, and ended up leaving unfinished. I think we talked yeah. about this too. Yeah, that's supposedly a curse. The house. So yeah, so he could go yeah. home and help his mentor Mathers. And we were talking about how that may have been to do with like politics and his own right. machinations or whatever. And I, I don't believe it, but I love the uh, the story about how one sto- one uh, theory is that the Loch Ness monster. Maybe some kind of interdimensional thing that was brought forth by, you know, the unfinished Abramelin operation. <laughs> it's some kind of, you know, interdimensional fucking demon or abomination that's, you know, floating or phasing in and out of the, totally. the Loch Ness. That's, that's pretty yeah. cool to think about. Um, yeah, Paige himself, uh, if, if legend is true, never spent a night in the house. He would only stay there during the day, according to, uh, I think it was his, uh, the housekeeper that he hired. But he had friends, the... right? Didn't he have friends who stayed there and claimed to have whacked out experiences? Yeah, it was, it was the same guy he, uh, he basically hired. It was a friend of his to basically oversee the house for, you know, basically be the, uh, I, I, landlord. I don't know what the ter- proper term is, but, uh, he had stayed there and he made some sort of claim that he stayed in apparently the same room either that, Crowley did the incantation or, or Crowley's bedroom. I can't remember. And that there was clawing at the door one yeah, night. Yeah, like monstrous noises yeah. and stuff. So, and wasn't there like already uh, some kind of like crazy history? I uh, think that was like the a house woman? itself. I think there was like an old woman who, I forget exactly what happened, but her husband ended up dead and the husband may have had a military history or something. I forget, but something about someone died in a very kind of messy and violent way in the house or something. I thought something like that. I forget uh, the exact story. So two of the two things uh, about it that I remember from reading uh, one of the books about Zeppelin. So they may be myth. Um, One was that uh, in the original either in the Boleskine house or the house that was there before, which I believe was a church at one time too, hmm. that somebody was beheaded and maybe oh. that had something to do with the fan, you know, the husband and wife. Right. And it was like rumors of still hearing the head fall down the steps. Oh, that's crazy. And then, uh, that the church that was there had burned down with the congregation still inside. And supposedly, now I, this is probably a stretch, but who knows? Uh, the lyrics to Stairway to Heaven, whenever they say you can still see the smoke from the trees or something like that, oh, that's, yeah. that's a reference to it. Then they're still sprinkling for the May Queen, which the May Queen is also a, po- a poem written by Crowley. Now, I this is so weird, just on a very brief side <clears throat> note, I won't get sure. too much into it. And I won't throw the relative under the bus okay. by okay. saying exactly gotcha. who it is. But I actually, now we're getting real serious for a second, but uh, okay. like some degree of like serious mental illness runs in yeah. my family. Same uh, here. And we're talking like, uh, schizophrenia? Not, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why well, like, I have that on my family too. So. I'm, I'm trying to think what the uh, exact term is, like schizotypical or schizoaffective or whatever it is. But I have a, a male family member, I won't say who it is, who is a huge Zeppelin fan. Uh-huh. And when they were like entering early adulthood, probably like early 20s or something, they started having, which is often the time when like schizophrenia comes on, late teens, yes. early 20s. For, for men, for men. Yeah. That's true. Just for men. No, uh, they, women, yeah. women, it's later. Yeah, schizophrenia, it's just for we, men. I think women, it's later in life, or it could be brought on earlier by hormonal change, such as a childbirth or something like that. But, like, so. huge Zeppelin fan, and he th- was having, like, hallucinations that referred to, like, all the different aspects in Stairway to Heaven, like the lyrics. Oh, like, wow. he, he used to like open up the album cover where you could find the lyrics and he would like anyone who would listen kind of like hold them hostage, figuratively speaking, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. go through all the lyrics and tell you what they meant and how he had personal experiences that corresponded to all the different, the lyrics, really, really freaky stuff. But, uh, I, I just, th- that's all I'll say about that, but I just had to mention it. I just had to mention that. Well, we, there's a yeah. theory going, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's pretty reliable because it's always been said that, uh, that, uh, Plant wrote, well, Plant himself claimed that he wrote the lyrics, but, uh, there's a lot of, uh, indications that he may have not, that some of the lyrics even going forward, you know, cause supposedly after Zeppelin two. Uh, or part of Zeppelin too, Page stopped writing lyrics because he wrote all the lyrics pretty much for the most part up to that oh, point. Wow. Uh, and then he kind of left it over to Plant. But uh, I don't know, man. Uh, and the other thing is the uh, shit, the uh, the Hermit, right? The, oh, the, the Hermit figure. Is that a tarot thing? The Hermit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and there's a pretty good argument that that painting is actually made by Page as well. Because he he was you know he went to art school that's what he was doing oh wow where he became a musician and you can't this this uh, alleged artist which I forget what the, the citation was given uh, there's no other citations for him nobody could find who and where it came from it just kind wow. of appeared. and you know the the connection between the the hermit and him through the song remains remains the same film and you know other uh, things that you know he's put out there so it's kind of yeah. So yeah, and um I could see him doing that for like to to add to the mystique of the album kind of like with the symbol yeah. the four symbols and stuff. And uh that's fun. Yeah, we were talking about Kenneth Anger last time. Oh and, yeah. You know, yeah, we talk Loose for Rising is such a great movie. We we're talking about how um Kenneth Anger, I mean, how Jimmy Page was supposed to provide the soundtrack, but he kind of was dragging his feet and Anger finally had enough. And um I think it was uh, in the evening, right? Which was originally yes. meant to be part of uh, Loose for Rising. The, the opening, uh, the intro, the whatever, really the... creepy, airy music yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, which uh, he released the soundtrack that he made for it recently. Oh, uh, I had no idea. Yeah, it's really uh, it's it's out there. I don't know if it's uh, it, it wouldn't go on my playlist. Let's put it, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because so. it's it's so nuts that like we were talking about yeah. this last time. How was it, Bobby? Bu- is it Boussole? Is that how you pronounce yep. it? From the but, Manson family. 
yeah, he's the one who ended up doing the soundtrack. I'm surprised in a way that they would even let people do that from prison or whatever. It's right. wacky. Yeah, but I mean, it's an interesting connection, though, too. You think about uh, Crowley and Manson, because a lot of the things that Manson preached kind of fits some of Crowley, mm-hmm. but also because uh, although Crowley did kind of talk about destroying the ego, but at the same time, he kind of did a 180 and it was like embrace it. You know, at least, you know, your will. Right. Where, uh, uh, yeah, where Manson, Manson was more uh, about, uh, about, about yeah. destroying the ego. You know, of course, the reason to destroy Through the LSD, ego was... So he yeah. could control the others. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you know, I mean, much like, yeah. you know, uh, Christ did, uh, you know, on uh, the Sermon of the Mount, but, you know. <laughs> Very uh, culty stuff. It but is. It's like, uh, yeah, if I had to... Uh, if if I had to pick, like a lead, a leader or whatever, I I would definitely err on the side of uh, Crowley or whatever. I uh, I would definitely take my chances with Crowley. Um, there's a chance Crowley might try to make you eat a cat turd or whatever to drink cat's blood or something. But uh, I feel like I, I feel like things ain't ever. No matter how many times we keep rewinding the tape, things are never gonna end up well with old Charlie Manson. He, that dude is just gonna want to totally dominate you and use you. Um, but, hey, but hey, think about it. Okay, the guy really did accomplish a lot if you think about it. Manson. You know? No, Manson. He was only five foot tall. I mean, that's pretty. That's a lot to overcome for a shirt guy. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> a weird little midget man with that big right. bushy beard. Yeah. Yeah. He had. Uh, he definitely had an awful childhood, from what I oh, understand. Absolutely. I think he was like. He, he was in what? It was kind of like I don't know if it's juvie or whatever, but he was like in like uh, you know institution prison like institutions where he's like supposedly raped as a kid and uh, his mother was a prostitute yep. and all sorts of wacky stuff. He did so, his share of raping too because that was uh, the why he got denied parole. I think initially is because he held a uh, another inmate uh, at knife point so he could sodomize him. Wow! Now was this yeah. after the Manson family oh, stuff no, no, or no, before? No. This before he was. Oh wow! He didn't get out. Of, he uh, did get out of prison until he was like in his thirties. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's whenever he ended up at uh, you know Hay and Ashbury and all that. Found all these hippies that were looking yeah. for guidance, and here's the old ranch. Charlie to come along and help him out. So. Spawn Ranch. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, like perfect storm. It's funny because, like, you know, we're talking about, like, being interested in dark stuff and the, you know, the occult. Or even as I know you also like cults talking about that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. And I think, like, a lot of the time I can kind of detach myself and find this stuff interesting. I think the one thing that, like, ever since, like, a young age, hearing about, like, the Tate-LaBianca murders, especially uh, Sharon Tate, just, yeah. like... Yeah. So, like, I have such, like, a visceral reaction to it, no pun intended, because I think they basically eviscerated her. Yeah. But, like, uh, always felt so bad for those victims and always just very outraged by just imagining the scenario of this pregnant woman. Not like beauty should determine your worth as a human being, but this young, beautiful woman, very heavily pregnant and these nuts just break into the house and kill everyone, slit open her belly, and st- you know it's just so fucking monstrous. Yeah, that when sometimes when people kind of glamorize or glorify Charlie Manson, it's like you gotta try to remember what the guy was responsible for. You know, it's it's and I know I'm probably a hypocrite to some degree because I probably kind of 
glamorize uh, Crowley to some degree. But, yeah, but uh, Crowley didn't kill anybody that we know of. Yeah, uh, the he ma- might have, but indirectly, uh, like and 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 by indirectly, we don't mean like ordering a murder, like Manson. As far as by. we know, he didn't. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just sacrifice a few virgins, you know. Oh, there is the small mount- children, you know, nothing major. Yeah, so. There is there is the mountaineering story though. Did he? Uh, yeah, this was yeah, before all funny. the occult stuff. I think where he's like, he was supposedly a really gifted or skilled mountain climber, yeah. and he heard below or whatever it was that his fellow uh, climbers needed help. And he was like, ah, fuck it. Just stayed at his camp or whatever. And no, I, think, I, think it's, I think it was pretty clear early on. He was uh, somewhat of a sociopath, too. Right, like a know? narcissist or whatever. Well, yeah. Didn't he uh, also uh, experiment with, like, animal mutilation as a child? I'm not sure. I, 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 I thought he did. I thought he had, like, uh, killed his cat or something. And it took some doing. I forget how he, how it was ported. Something like it, it took more attempts than he thought. He felt bad for doing it, but he just wanted to see how it worked. That's, something like that sounds that sounds familiar. I wouldn't doubt it. And yeah, that's supposed to be one of the hallmark, the telltale signs of a of a sociopath. I always get psychopath and sociopath confused. It's a, yeah, it's a slim margin at times. Yeah, and um, but yeah, like Dharma. I think when he was a kid, he used to kill uh, animals. I'm mean, like, yeah. supposedly he'd like show his father the bones in a bucket. And he'd like look, Dad, fiddlesticks or something like that. Dahmer's another one where it's just hard to wrap your mind around the shit he did with like the sex zombies and all the yeah. crazy shit. Um, it's weird because I I can recall my childhood where it was almost like. A common thing in the neighborhood, like we used to have this freshwater pond at the end of the street where there used to be like frogs and crayfish and stuff like that. And oh my God, the shit people used to do, like the neighborhood kids to like frogs and stuff. But like um, hearing stuff about someone taking it up a step to like mammals, that was pretty rare. Uh once, like, I remember a disturbing story of, like, a friend, a so-called friend. I hung around with, like, some pretty unsavory elements at times as a teenager. Kid uh, who's actually the son of a of a fairly high-ranking local police officer. Um, like, taking a BB gun to the woods and, like, shooting a dog to death. And I've always loved dogs from, like, a young yeah, age. I'm like, I'm like, oh, man. Our, yeah. I, I know there was another kid who supposedly held, like, his, and, and talking about this now because I'm a Chihuahua owner, held his mother's Chihuahua by the leg and dropped it off of, like, the back porch or something. Just, like, awful shit. But, yeah, I th- um, yeah, I remember hearing, like... Neighborhood kids used to do some really freaky stuff, but, like, uh, killing a cat or a dog or, like, habitually killing, ma- like, mammals and collecting the bones and shit, that's when you know there's some kind of problem or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. That that took a dark turn. Yeah, sorry about that. That might have been me bringing up Trevor no. Manson. No, so. I think uh, <laughs> it's probably partly my fault, too. I had plenty to say or add. Um but what about, uh, I remember you said, because I recently did that Bowie episode. Oh, yeah. And uh, you were talking about wanting to uh, chime in on Bowie. And that's definitely a fascinating uh, subject. So anything you want to say about that, go for uh, it. The, uh, just a, a couple points 
uh, I mean, overall, as everything you put out, I don't mean that, uh, you know, with any sort of ass kissing that uh, it's, <laughs> it's always done, you know, well above anything that uh, I ever have a hand in. You know, let's put it that way. So uh, it's always impressive. Uh, but I, I would just kind of, I don't know if it's really a rebuttal or just uh, comments and maybe you could tell me I'm wrong. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm trying to remember all the points that I was thinking about. Uh, so whatever he was taught us, he quicksand. No, 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 it's not quicksand. What's the other song? Pretty uh, things. Oh, oh, you pretty things. Yeah. yeah. So Homo Superior, I think, is also something that Crowley has talked about. Because oh, I think really? you were trying to attribute to uh, Himmler. But I don't think it's just Himmler. In fact, uh, oh, well, I think uh, Himmler was one of the references in Quicksand where, oh, you pretty things. I was talking about uh, the book, The Coming Race, that okay. book that talks about uh, Vril. You know, The Coming Race was the science fiction story, but like a lot of uh, theosophists, uh, people like Madame Blavatsky and even members of like the uh, the Nazi party or SS who embraced the occult, even though it was a work of fiction, they saw it as containing like a cult truth that the Nazis kind of dug the whole thing about this superior race and this, this power, the supernatural power of Vril. But you may be right though about the homo yeah, because, superior. Uh, thing. What is it called? Uh, Uber Mensch. Oh, that's I yeah. Nietzsche. Or Nietzsche. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's also been called uh Oberman or Oberhuman. Yeah, that's Beyond Nietzsche. And, yeah. Uh, Superman, like Bernard Shaw. But uh, yep. I know Crawley referred to the Oberman. Uh, trying to remember. I thought I wrote it down. Because, um, uh, yeah, it's in 777. Um, fortunately, we are lent to combine the ideas not to the to the mutual tolerate of subcountries, but to the affirmation of countries, to the transcendent of the law of intellectual, which madness of ordinary man, genius, and the overman who abstract it off more. And from our understanding, yeah, that's <laughs> interesting. So I wonder, cause I think they probably would have been somewhat contemporaries. I think Nietzsche was, uh, Nietzsche or Nietzsche, like Nietzsche or Nietzsche, tomato, tomato. I always right. say on this yeah. show, but I think Nietzsche was a product of the 19th century, and so was Crowley. And Shaw, um, too, because he talked about similar things, right, with uh, Man and Superman. Yeah, well, it's uh, Nietzsche. Yeah, so Nietzsche died in 1900. He was relatively yeah. young. He was, in his, uh, he was in his 40s. But it's like uh, Nietzsche talked about, yeah, the, the Overman, or in German, the, the Ubermensch. And uh, also you can translate it to Superman. Um, and uh, so that's interesting. I wonder if Crowley got that from Nietzsche or whatever. But um, what the fuck was I going to say? But as far as the homo superior thing, like being turned tuned into that, to be honest, uh, a big impetus for doing that episode was listening to that uh, episode, the last podcast on the left, uh, upon my friend's recommendation. And... Um, the guys from the last podcast on the left actually made the homo superior okay. connection and, and connected it to that book, The Coming Race. So that could be somewhat conjecture on their part. Well, I always so, thought you know that I the mean? coming race in the new age were kind of two, uh, two equal but not separate things. 
Well, That's how I always read them. You know, like Crawley was always talking about we're entering the new age, the, the age, new age the, of the new man, the and Aeon, I was, Aeon of Horus. Right. So I yeah. kind of. You know, I'm just, you know, wondering if that's the same thing, or at least that's how I always read it. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, The Coming Race, the book specifically, was uh, a 19th century work of fiction about this underground, this subterranean race called the Vril Ya. And they had a power that was kind of like the Force in Star Wars called oh, Vril. Really? Yeah. And I think uh, the guys on the last podcast on the left may have suggested that some scholars posit that lucas may have lifted uh the force from vril that's where the inspiration came from i don't know because because uh lucas was also very big into joseph campbell and into eastern culture and uh religion so like you know like the samurai class and uh you know kind of zen that type of thing and also you know the idea of uh the hero's journey and he was huge into Joseph Campbell but yeah they suggested that Lucas may have also been influenced by uh the book The Coming Race but there's this I consider kind of like a con woman there's a um there's a 19th century spiritualist named Bla- uh Madame Blavatsky. Right. Helen, I'm, yeah. I'm a little familiar with her. I, yeah. I, as far as her nonsense that she's <laughs> trying to yeah. fool people. But she, uh, what was it? Was she, uh, no, apologies. Keeping her interrupting you. Was oh, no she problem. connected to, uh, Oh fuck. Sherlock Holmes author. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan yeah. Doyle. Was she connected to him, or was it Houdini? Maybe was because a, it was one funny. of the two. I thought that they tried that she tried to scam, or they tried oh, well, to exploit, or something. I can't remember. Maybe Sir I'm... Arthur Conan Doyle is is uh, well known for. Um, although he created this great kind of skeptical detective figure. In real life, I mean, he was a smart guy, right? But, but he, he loved was, like seances and all that shit. He he yeah. uh, he had this kind of blind spot where he was into the supernatural and, yeah. spiritu- and spiritualism. So there might have been some Blavatsky connection there. Whereas Houdini, ironically, who was this magician, stage ma- magician, albeit, uh, yeah. who you think. Who you know, had this air of mystery about him and everything? Who you think might believe in in, in wacky shit? Houdini was actually a debunker, and uh, he used to try to bust charlatans yep. and spiritualists and seances much, and much stuff. Much like uh, James Randi. James, very much like James Randi. Yeah. yeah, and I've always Although loved that about that Houdini. Wasn't, wasn't Houdini kind of motivated though because he actually was in hopes to somehow contact yeah. his mother? Yeah. Was that the uh, the reason why he was you know kind of hoping that there was like you said at, the, afterlife, at, uh, at the heart of every uh, skeptic that there's an optimist or you a know dis- a disappointed believer yeah, yeah. I think he's definitely that and he and his wife had a similar thing where he said like okay whoever which one of us dies first like if I die this is going to be the code I send you or whatever, you know, so you know it's really me if someone claims I'm coming through during a seance. And it pretty much, you know, what you'd expect, he he never came through or whatever, you know. But I think people may have tried to BS his wife or whatever with claims he was. No doubt. Yeah, I've always had a lot of respect for Houdini, and I kind of like... uh, 
in a weird way, I'm not saying as far as his skill or intellect or anything like that, but in a way I see myself in him or can relate to him in the way that he obviously was fascinated by all this weird stuff and everything, but he had enough dignity or whatever, or um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, th that or decency that he didn't try to bullshit others and he didn't believe just for the sake of believing um, that he, he wanted to know the truth and he wanted to hold bullshit artists accountable. And so, I mean, in that sense, I, I, I can really relate to that. Someone who's interested in this kind of fringe stuff, but doesn't, has enough decency and dignity that they don't just buy into it for the sake of placating themselves or pulling the wool over other people's eyes for money or whatever, or prestige, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I think Crowley, isn't Crowley one of the reasons why I think he changed the spelling of magic is he wanted to differentiate it from stage magic, which is what Houdini did. And I right. think a lot of stage mag magicians are, to this day are very upfront that there's nothing supernatural going on. It's basically a discipline. It's a set of tricks and skills where we ain't going to tell you how we're doing it, but it ain't real hocus pocus, you know? Um, and, and I, I, and so I think that that's like with Penn and Teller too. And they carry on in that Houdini S tradition. And I'm sure that there probably were back in Houdini's time, but a lot of people probably tried to convince others that they did have special powers. And there's probably still people out uh, around like that now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a uh, book and I, apologize i can't remember the uh the author's name but the the title is called sleight of mind and it uh talks about uh somebody that was interested in neurology uh not numerology but neurology is and you oh, know, okay the neurons brain. and stuff yeah right. and uh he uh, started studying with uh magicians and learned how that basically all all magic is based on that uh because they've learned how to fool your brain uh, what's and I think you've probably seen this before, you know, on different things. What is it? Mind games. I think Discovery Channel or one of those has. That's what it's called. Brain, brain games. That's what it's called. Um, I think they did this on that. But that, anyways, uh, so the trick is that you have a a uh, like a TV stand, right? Mm -hmm. And you have a ball, and you're gonna say, okay, I'm gonna bounce this ball three times. On the third time, the ball is gonna go through the top of the stand, hit the floor, then come back up and go through the stand again. Mm -hmm. So you tell everybody that the trick is you bounce the ball three times and that's it. You're already giving the, the audience oh, a suggestion right, right. of what's going to happen. And in fact, their, you know, the, the active audience's brains will actually see what you told them to see. Even in fact, it didn't happen. They just literally they bounced it on the table three times. There's no trick. There's no hole in the table or anything. It's just boom, boom. Right. You've like primed them for yes. the illusion. And, and I it's, think, you know, there's a lot. I think there is a bit of that in magic with a K as oh, well. Right. Yeah. It's like, um, it almost seems like a lot. Like we, I, I keep bringing up the will. 
but yeah. it's almost like, I guess in the least spooky definition of it, it's like manipulating your own reality through the will. Yeah. Right. And, but, uh, and once again, in the most like symbolic or non-spooky take on it, you could say in that sense, you don't even need a belief in the supernatural, but there's all sorts of things. If you start going down that road, there's all sorts of things you can start to theorize about like, okay, is this all in my mind? And what the hell is mine? You know, are we, uh, um, is empirical reality what it seems to be? Are we the proverbial brain in the vat? Is everything consciousness? Um, and uh, are we really so... Yeah, it's just so weird, but you can really start to get out there by questioning the very nature of reality. Um, and I think that's the thing with that chaos magic stuff. With one of the, one of the basic tenets, if there are any, is that... It's kind of, you're supposed to object to any definite models of objective reality. And once you do that, it's like, shit, anything's possible. You know what I mean? Because you don't have a clear definition of what reality even is. Um, and uh, But then it's like for people like us, like skeptics, non-believers, people who lean towards the empirical model that... Um, hard reality is really a thing, that <laughs> science is a thing. Uh, it's like, wow, those are strange waters to wade out into. You know, when you start questioning the very nature of reality. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's a big... Uh, what's the, the old adage? Uh, life, or we're all inside of a dream, but who's a dreamer? You know, yeah. that's, that's something we all fall. I think we talked about that because that's a big... Uh, homage of uh david lynch and his his films oh yeah and so, yeah yeah because yeah, we were talking about like the the old switcheroo in the middle of lost highway and yeah that type of thing but uh what the hell is i gonna say yeah it, it's even even goes back to Rene descartes where like i think i, I think therefore i am where it's yeah. like even if you're a hardcore skeptic, and, and, and almost any scientist you see interviewed, even the most staunch skeptics, will admit, well, you know, even people, well, I don't know if we've ever talked about Matt Dillahunty. Uh, I think he does some good work. I'm not his biggest fucking fan. But even I'm Matt, with you there. Yeah, I'm even Matt Dillahunty will say, like, uh, um, he can't prove at the end of the day that we're not the proverbial brain in the vat. At yeah. the end of the day, all you really have to hang your hat on is the fact that you're conscious. Uh, who know? I mean, because there seem because phenomena seems to be um, ordered in a certain way. Because there seems to be repetition and pattern and law, um, cause and effect. I mean, I think the safe assumption is that the material universe is real and uh, that the scientific model is probably the most sound model, the mo most sound view of reality. But yeah, at the end of the day, this could be a one big mind fuck and who the hell knows what consciousness is exactly or what the nature of reality is. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm still 
an empiricist. I still believe that consciousness, like we were saying at the top of the interview or conversation, is an emergent property of the meat brain. Probably not a heck of a lot of hope for an afterlife, unfortunately, uh, of consciousness surviving the death of the physical brain. But that being said, the, 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 you can, I think, legitimately leave the door open that, um, I mean, who the hell knows that the sun, you well, know, Maybe some of these ideas magic. Uh, okay, I, I know I'm going to go totally off the rails here. So, uh, and this is a big John Hamill thing uh, as far as uh, his, he's a big determinist, very hard determinist when mm -hmm. it comes to the argument of free will. And uh, I, I don't know if you watched uh, Westworld. Yes, I, I haven't finished the second season, but. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I don't be afraid to ruin it because I, okay, I actually I'm not, I won't ruin any of the 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 actual story, but I might some of the subtext because I kind of do deal with the free will issue a little bit more this second season. Yeah, so I was gonna I say think, I think uh, I think for some reason the only show you could probably piss me off by giving spoilers is The Walking Dead for some reason. <laughs> okay. Anything else, I don't give a shit. Even like okay. Game of Thrones. Someone could spoil Game really? of Thrones okay. for me. I love... Okay. Lo and for some reason, this isn't necessarily a barometer of how much I like a show. It's just for some reason, if someone told me what happened on the most recent episode of The Walking Dead, I'd be like, oh, shit, fuck you, you know? <laughs> but if someone told me what happens in the average movie that I'm interested in seeing, or even what happens in Game of Thrones, it's like, I'll still watch Game of Thrones because it's such a cool show to watch and I can see some dragons and some boobies or whatever, <laughs> but I don't care if you tell me a certain character died in a given episode. Okay. But anyway, well, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, so so maybe uh, the real thing that could be, and this is pure speculation, uh, and maybe this is just me trying to, uh, uh, as we like to say, pub philosophize uh, <laughs> why some of these things are still around, other than the fact that uh, they give interest or they just start good stories, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know, at the end of the day, some of these spells, for lack of better words, well, actually they do claim to be spells, right? Um, mm -hmm. That these things do work in some senses. Uh, is, and it kind of impacts on what you said about, you know, priming your will. Right. Well, the whole idea of, you know, some of the ideas of free will is that, or the, you know, the illusion of free will is that we have pretty much like our own algorithm. It's already built in, right? We already have this program. The program can be changed, though, by experiences and, you know, our genes that are already are, are our recessive genes, even right, reacting mm -hmm. to different situations, blah blah blah. Again, and I'm not I'm not the perfect person to talk on this the subject, but this is this is very much the amateur, uh, the layman's amateur uh, interpretation. So, what if it's possible that unwillingly some of these people have kind of uncoded a way to kind of break into some of that programming, right? Because right. we've already talked about how you know people destroy the ego. Right, you destroy the ego, then you can kind of reprogram somebody. Oh yeah, right. So what if, in fact, you doing some of these things, you're reprogramming yourself, and that's really what they're trying to do. No, it's like if I can, uh, I don't know if you mind me button in at this point. Oh, please go ahead. 
But I was going to say, like, uh, and I don't want to get sidetracked with, uh, I think last time we had a big conversation about uh, depression and stuff. We had a lot of big conversations. Yeah, we did. But it's like, Quite frankly, someone... a lot of the things you're talking about, you're saying, hey, last time we talked about this, I'm like, fuck, yeah. you really did talk about that? It's like, well, there's like four hours of conversation, yeah. so yeah. yeah. But it's like, uh, as someone who... You know, at the right now, as we speak, I'm still on antidepressants. A big reason why I'm on antidepressants is to keep chronic headaches, uh, migraine type headaches at bay. But I'd be lying if I said it wasn't also because of depression or things like that. And uh, there's often a comorbidity between um, depression and chronic pain, especially chronic he- headaches. The two often go hand in hand. But um, so as someone who's kind of like read their fair share of self-help books, you know, who's uh, monkeyed around with cognitive behavioral therapy and stuff like that. It's, uh, I can actually see a lot of correlations between, or similarities between some of this magic stuff, magic with the the K, and um, self-help techniques and stuff. It's funny, like, I was reading this one self-help, uh, no, yeah, it was, it was a book on self-esteem, particularly that I think shit, man, long time ago. I was probably like back in my early 20s when um, this uh, particular therapist recommended this book to me. And a lot of it, a lot of the book is very hokey. And, uh, you know, you just kind of roll your eyes at it. But there was this one exercise, which I still use to this day. And if you try to tell people about it, man, does it sound fucked up. Yeah, like you kind of get into like a meditative state or, you know, close your eyes or whatever. And you're supposed to wait for like this avatar or this helper type of figure to show up. And it's like this figure is supposed to almost be like an embodiment of that kind of wise voice within yourself. The part of you that can give you just good common sense or kind of supportive advice or whatever and you're supposed to wait for it to take on a and it could be anything it could be an animal or whatever and there's some uh and there's like a warning that sometimes it might come in like a scary guise so then you kind of back off and wait and try again later and and wait for it to take a, a, a guise that you feel more comfortable with and and you ask it questions and stuff, that and dude, sounds I, I, like uh, Jodie Foster and her dad in contact, doesn't it? Oh, something like that. <laughs> now that I think about it, and dude, so like this sounds insane, but to this day, I'll still do that. Like I might be at work, right, just stuck doing my hellish menial job, whatever it is, uh, doing construction. The family, you know, working in the family business. Uh, you know, working out in the cold, doing carpentry or lugging heavy shit around. And uh, maybe there'll be something that's bothering me and I just want to, like, focus my thoughts or kind of crystallize something that's worrying me. So I'll do that. I'll, like, either wait for, like, some image or shape to for my mind to kind of conjure up some specific kind of being or avatar or I'll decide what it's going to be could be some gigantic 
you know, primordial serpent or it could be, I mean, you'd probably think I was even wackier if I started to tell you the, like the forms, but, um, but in my mind, I'm thinking this is just me. This is just, and I'll even joke around with the thing in my inner dialogue, how like it will joke with me that, well, we both share the same information because I'm just a representative of your own consciousness or a certain part of your own consciousness. But it's more like, usually, you know, your thoughts can be scattered and you just wrestle and run in circles with your own mind worrying about shit. Whereas this is like, okay, this, you're putting like that part of yourself that's your own friend, that has good advice, uh, that can um, offer something supportive instead of uh, being neurotic and tearing you down. So almost like a mentor or a wise friend inside your own head. And it's just a part of you, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I'll actually joke during my inner dialogues with this thing that, yeah, we both share the same information, what you know I know, because you're just a figment or whatever. This is just an exercise. But I'll ask it questions about what I should do or why I'm behaving in like a, a certain way and what can I do to improve it and the answers you get are pretty fucking good it's almost like talking to a therapist and to me this is all it's all uh, a product of the mind it's all like theater within your own mind but it is a very useful and productive exercise but you could easily see how it could interpret it be interpreted as being spooky or that this is some kind of outside being and that almost, in, in magic terms, that you've almost welcomed in this outside force or, or entity or something. It's almost like a, a conjuring or summoning thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds a lot like uh, what, uh, I'm, I know I'm not, not the only one, but uh, whenever I was a true believer, just uh, especially at nights when I was young and I couldn't sleep and I would sit there and try to pray and you know think on things. I would hear these answers, and I, I, as a kid, I thought it was God, you know. But oh, okay. uh, when I, you know, you know, I know I was. I think Peter O'Toole was the first person I saw and said it. You know, all these times, I thought I was getting the answers from God, and I realized it was just myself. You know, it's yeah. kind of the same thing. You and know, you a, just, yeah, yeah, you just go to this place where you finally just kind of like objectively look at things as much as you can and break it down and you just uh you come to your own conclusions and i mean your own conclusions because it is at the end of the day it's all you and there's you know? a, a lot of stuff like that if you look back through certain traditions or if you look back throughout history like um i think what did they call it in ancient uh greek philosophy uh and now i'm trying to think um was it plato or was it uh Socrates. Well, much of what we know of Socrates, some people even challenge whether he's a real right. person. This be a Plato, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. But there's the idea of the daemon, not demon, but the idea of the daemon. Like there's a wise voice within the self. You know what I mean? And most likely, yeah. this is just it's just an aspect of your own consciousness. It's your own inner dialogue or whatever. And um, I wonder if, uh, you know, throughout history, if often this has been the thing people have called angels or, you know, this and that. And um, I, I think like meditation and mantra, I think that's yeah. all kind of part of the same thing. And I know, mean, you talked about this before, 
but uh, when you're talking about self-help and all this, a lot of that stuff is all broken down from hermetics and Crowleyism and all these other different things, uh, like The Secret. Uh, did we talk about The, the Secret last time? Well, this time? is funny because, to be honest, to be completely honest with you, yeah. I don't. I know next to nothing about The Secret, and, okay. and, and yet, and yet, and it's probably not fair, kind of like, you know, very kind of judgmental of me. I share the kind of general skeptic's view, even without knowing as much right. as I should. Oh, no, no, that is, that is absolutely. So, uh, uh, a family member, I, I don't want to dime him out. I think I dimed him out last time, but uh, <laughs> uh, actually said, hey, uh, you need to read this, or uh, in fact, here, I'll give you the DVD or something. So, I'm like, okay. So, uh, Basically, the idea is that uh, the secret is you envision something you want to attain. So the idea could be you want a brand new car. For some of these people that have claimed that it's been a new job, a new house, yada, yada, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, the example uh, that is given, I think there's any – they do like a – there's a documentary for them, right? Or uh, you know, however you want to say it, promo, whatever. And, and it's the uh, idea is a car. So you think about the new car, you think about the new car smell, what it's mm -hmm. going to feel like driving it. You embrace this idea like a prayer, right? So right, you right. Hold on to this idea that it's not, I want someday, I hope to have this car. No, no, no. One day I'll be in this car and this is what it's going to feel like. I need to embrace what it's going to be like owning and driving this car, you know, driving down the boulevard, blah, blah, blah. Once you embrace it, then you let it go and you throw it into the universe. You you has it as a fatal complete day, right? That it's it's over and done with. At some point, this mm -hmm. is going to come back to you, yeah. right? Because it's that whole sending good energy into the universe. It'll come back to you. Well, this is also the kind of things that spell work or whatever is in magic. You know, yeah, that's how, dude. That sounds because the uh, guys on the la last podcast on the left talk about. Uh, chaos magic all the time and that's exactly what they say yeah. that's exactly what you say you know you focus you concentrate on what you want maybe there's a little ritual that goes along with it there might, there's even like uh some people create sigils little magical symbols and um then you let it go with the hope that or i don't know if expectation whatever like you were saying now it'll eventually come back and and manifest and um and so it's like, in a way, you know, once again, as someone who's delved into self-help crap and, uh, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, stuff like that, it sounds like visualization. You know, it sounds yeah. just like a visualization yeah. technique. And uh, I don't think there necessarily has to be anything spooky about it. Like, And I'll tell you, dude, like, I've been doing stuff like that recently. I have an app on my iPhone that I keep locked. It's like one of those locked note apps where I keep mantras and like, and little like self declarations or whatever. And so maybe like 15 minutes to a half an hour, I'll, I'll try to set aside before bed. I'll do some like breathing meditation stuff. I'll do some like cognitive behavioral work. And I, I don't mean the mixed cognitive behavior behavioral therapy up with some of this other more fringe stuff because that's really cognitive behavioral therapy is really strong proven 
therapy. It is right. really good stuff. And uh, but these other things are, are helpful too. Um, but uh, and so I'll visualize like where I want to be in life, what I want to improve about my life. I'll even, I have uh, written down, I have adjectives that I'd like to apply to myself about how I want my self-image to be, how I want others to perceive me. And I'll go over this stuff and recite it almost like mantras, almost like just thinking about this stuff or saying the words in my head or envisioning what I want to be the case, like this power in doing that. Yeah, and, actually, um, I think uh, I think that uh, I was able to hack one of those accounts before the show, and it said something about uh, don't answer to anybody today that doesn't refer to you, uh, refer to me as Sex Machine or the Sultan of Oom Papa Mau Oom Papa Mau Mau. <laughs> I love it. Sex Machine. As soon as you say, because I'm a horror movie freak, as soon as you say Sex yes. Machine, I think about uh, <laughs> From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's what's his face. The uh, Savini. Is it Tom Savini, the special yes. effects guy? Yeah. Yeah. Nice to see him get a role, too, and that. That was pretty sweet. Yeah. So. Yeah. And once in a while, you'll notice him in a horror movie. I think. Uh, well, didn't he do the special effects in uh, Reservoir Dogs for the year? Oh, it wouldn't surprise me. He's. I think so that's how uh, him and uh, I think that's how Tarantino and Rodriguez hooked up was through Savini. Oh, it had something to do with that. I, I maybe I misheard his story about it, but uh, that's, I, that's uh, played out. I still like. I mean, still hats off to From Dust Till Dawn. Not because of the the surprise twist halfway through where the movie totally changes, which is great, oh, yeah. but. Yeah. The um the depiction of vampires in that movie. The vampires are so gnarly, so yeah. demonic. And the marriage of that with the music and just the chaotic feel of hey, what... hey, Selma Hayek is is enough. That's all you needed, man. That that oh, was enough for me. <laughs> she's always been one of my favorites, man. Oh, and yeah. uh and no, it's um just because, just because like even even uh, bad pizza is still pizza. Like I've watched, <laughs> <laughs> I've watched that from Dust Till Dawn TV series, and um, doesn't hold a candle to the movie. They they change enough, or it's watered down. And I mean, it's enjoyable, but it's watered down, and it's not the fucking crazy spine chilling gore fest that the movie was i've never um, watched it so i don't know yeah you're not missing much if you don't and the sequels yeah. this the movie sequels to from dust to dawn all blow too uh but that's Don bon jovi in one of them i think you're right yeah i think you're right it almost it makes me think of like a, a ripoff of um not Peter Weller. Who's the guy I always confuse with Peter Weller? James Woods. Ah, I don't know why. Vampires. Uh, yeah, is that the name John of it? Carpenter's. Just John Carpenter's Vampires. That's, That's another movie I really loved. Uh, yeah. I love that vampire. I love when that guy walks into the party and just slices the guy diagonally with his hand. As so awesome. I forget the name of that vampire, but that vampire was great. It almost looked like an evil Trent Reznor or something. Yes. Yeah, how they all just kind of like come out of the ground. 
Yeah, very dirty, nasty vampires. Yeah. I like that shit. So the yeah. Dust Till Dawn ones almost look more like these misshapen demons, which I yes. love. And the music's very chaotic and, and, and jarring. So that's like a movie, still, if I watch it by myself, I'll be like, holy shit. Like the, uh, I forget the name of that black actor, the big Jack guy, when um, all of a sudden oh. it turns out he's Did he play Shaft? I think you're right. I think you're right. Fuck, what the hell is his name? It's going to drive gotta... me nuts. But right, that scene <laughs> where he turns around and he has the big demon eyes and his mouth is gigantic and full of yeah. fangs and, like, the bats are just flying past him. It's like, oh, man. Yeah, just that scene where they all start changing. It's like, holy crap. Uh, well, maybe I'm wrong. No, it's uh, Roundtree his last name what the fuck's his first name he richard round richard roundtree that's his name he was definitely in other stuff yeah he looked really familiar whoever he was really familiar i'm gonna look to make sure i'm not wrong and saying that he was from dusk until dawn too harvey Keitel had a really interesting role in that oh movie. Yeah. just that awkward kind of preacher guy he doesn't. I, I wish he was in more films. He's one of those actors. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, that's Fred Williamson. That's his name. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds familiar. He was uh, Shaft. Williamson was in the original Mash. Oh, okay. I don't know if that helps. Now you know someone will listen to this and will eventually get the. Oh, you guys think all black people look alike, don't you? Of course, that's we'll fine. Get that. But. <laughs> That's fine. But uh, what the heck was I going to say? Um, shit, I was just thinking of another movie. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite movies of all time is, uh, surprisingly, it's a Jesus movie, but it's uh, The Last Temptation of Christ, one of my favorite <laughs> With movies. With Harvey Keitel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah. I've had people, and I've noticed it myself, point out how, like, how much it kind of, interrupts the suspension of disbelief where you have like Defoe and Kaitel with these like really thick East Coast accents and they're supposed to be like these first century Jews or whatever. But still, the spirit of the movie, um I really I really enjoy that movie. And uh I forget the um one of my favorite quotes is by is at the beginning of that movie, and it's from the book that it's based on. Um, shit, I wonder if I can find it because I know I'll butcher it. I know I'll butcher it. Last temptation of Christ. Quote. Let's see. It's like a. It's a beautiful quote, though. Um, yeah, okay, so it starts off with the dual substance of Christ, the yearning so human, so superhuman of man to attain God, has always been a deep, inscrutable mystery to me. My principal anguish and source of all my joys and sorrows, from my youth onward, has been the incessant, merciless battle between the spirit and the flesh, and my soul is the arena where these two armies have clashed and met. That is just, even though I'm, uh, you know, agnostic, atheist, whatever, it's just like a, a beautiful fucking sentiment, beautifully worded. Something about that I like. That is cool. 
<laughs> There's yeah. always good stuff. In, I mean, as much as, uh, you know, I'm an anti-theist, it doesn't mean I can appreciate uh, oh, yeah. Proverbs or, you know, the Song of Solomons and stuff, especially. Yeah. Some good stuff in there. Yeah, so. it's like a fellow podcaster and a, a good friend of mine. I don't want to throw him under the bus. But we got into a little back and forth once about uh, biblical literature and whether or not it should really be considered, you know, as high literature or a good example of good literature. And I'm like, well, first of all, both the Old and New Testament are cobbled together anthologies. Yep. There, there's, a, <laughs> there's so many different books written by so many different authors. And uh, so they're not all created equal. Not all the texts or books are created equal or are as... Uh, or are equal in quality or whatever. Um, but yeah, the song of Solomon or the song of songs, uh, is known to be like a, is considered a great work of literature in general. And it's thought that that book really kind of raises the bar in particular in the Bible for the quality of the yeah. literature. And there's some, some stuff you read in the Bible that comes across as very dry or very barbaric, very, antiquated and there's other stuff that's still very moving or compelling you know um whether just the idea the story itself or the way it's and or the way it's written i think yeah i, I the only thing I, I, that i take uh a little bit of uh well i don't know what what the proper word is is that uh like dawkins said that uh maybe i think he's being far too kind that uh, the Sermon on the Mount might be the greatest thing ever spoken and all this. Well, first off, I don't think it was ever spoken. It was right. written. It's written It's written like literature. It's not written as an oration right. at all. But if you truly read it, it's not. It's disgusting. It, it is the document, the blueprint for making a cult. It is. If you truly read it properly, it is everything we're talking about as far as submitting the ego, submitting to your master's. You know, obeying the will of others, not to, to, you know, to yourself. It is actually, you know, the most disgusting thing ever written, I think. I'm so. actually looking at it now. Yeah. So it's at, um, just because it's been so long. And I just noticed <sighs> the line, blessed are the peacemakers, which makes me think of uh, the life of Brian with blessed, <laughs> blessed are the cheesemakers. Yeah, so that, I'm sure he's talking about that or anybody of the fashion of dairy products, of course. Yeah. (laughs) What's that big nose? Yeah, big nose. (laughs) And he doesn't have a big nose, which I think is the joke. Which which is the joke. Yeah. Yeah. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that that's probably that's probably saying to be meek, right? That's probably what that's saying. Yes, because the meek will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then blessed are the meek, yes, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, I guess, I mean, it all depends on how you look at it. Um, it's like, are you giving people instructions for how to deal with the vagaries of existence? Or are you trying to break them down to to make them mem- me- make them members of a flock? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um but uh, yeah, I think uh, I was about to bring up Jordan Peterson because I think I remember Jordan P- re- recently hearing him say something about the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, jeez. Yeah, we never talked about him. to be over. 
It, it's it, it, it's done. Okay, we need to check out. You know, let this this guy needs to go away. I'm sorry. You know, and, uh, and I'm all for free speech, and I'm not trying to deplatform him. And and I've said a hundred times, I don't think anybody should be deplatformed. Free speech is free mm-hmm. speech, right? But you know, this guy, come on, just fucking turn the mic off. <laughs> it's enough's enough. You know? He's a really interesting cat in the sense that uh, it's weird. I mean, what one thing you can't take away from definitely a smart, well-read, well-educated man. Um, some interesting ideas. I like watching some of his. No, it's funny when uh, he first came on the scene. I remember it was at the height of the SJW versus the anti-SJW yes. shit, and I yeah. remember people like Sargon of Akkad. Um, praising Jordan Pearson, and he was known for um, that that Canadian bill about the genders and all that. Yep. And uh, I'm like, oh boy, another anti SJW. How yeah. ex fucking exciting! Yeah. And I could and I couldn't give a shit less. And it wasn't until I stumbled upon some of his um lectures online where he's talking about the like religious symbolism and Jungian archetypes and shit like this. I'm like, Hmm, hmm, this guy's kind of interesting. And even some of the basic shit, you know, like his advice for living, I found some of that to be uh good, but he keeps putting his fucking foot in his mouth. He eventually just keeps on saying like outrageous shit that, uh, even if it's not exactly what he means, he couches it in a way that's easily easily taken the wrong way. Like the stuff he said about women wearing makeup in the workplace. Yeah. I think he recently said some other shit. And then obviously, um, he himself, I don't think is an alt writer. I don't think he's a white nationalist, but he, uh, often gets lumped together with rightly or wrongly with that crowd. So he's affiliated with some people that's understandable why uh, why some people are wary of him, some of the people he chooses to affiliate himself with. And uh, he, uh, he always ends up saying some kind of wackadoo nonsense, that kind of... Uh, you know, like, he'll say something from, like, okay, okay, you know, I'll watch him being interviewed by Joe Rogan or something. I'm like, I'm with you so far. Okay, I'm kind of, a, I'm a little inspired. Then he'll say something that's totally fucked up or backwards. And Well, a lot of things he said are easily dismissed. And, and whenever he's challenged on it, his uh, go-to answer is, I didn't say that. That's not what I said. Oh, yeah, that's not he's, what I said. That's not, yeah, he's like that all the whole time. I oh, mean, like it, the religious think, thing, dude. Uh, I, I mean, it's funny because you and I, especially me, I feel, with this conversation, have been kind of pushing the envelope as uh, skeptics, as yeah. non-believers. We've been toying around with Crowley and ceremonial magic and talking about all this shit. But fully putting my skeptic hat back on, uh, the way he <sighs> fudges the line between figurative and literal, the way he makes excuses for religion. 
and I think it's Noel Plum, who's a, a uh, atheist YouTuber I really like. Um, he's a good, you would probably like him. Noel Plum is a cool guy. He's probably like, I know that be, name. he might be a little older than us. He's probably like in his late forties now or approaching that range. And, uh, he's a salt of the earth fireman from the UK, but he's a really sound, rational thinker, very good guy. And, uh, he did a whole episode on, um, Peterson and how a lot of people in the States, seem to like think Peterson is this genius for bringing up this wishy-washy symbolic figurative approach to Christianity when Noel Plum is saying this is the shit that we've been dealing with in England for a long time with the C of E and shit like that. This is nothing new where there's a lot of like a lot of intellectuals, a lot of high profile thinkers within the church who embrace this airy-fairy figure of approach to religion because it kind of lets them have their cake and eat it too, where they can still at least be nominally Christian, but they don't have to believe literally in the other stuff, or they can talk in a very airy-fairy way about miracles and all that kind of thing. You know what I mean? And uh, that's what um, Peterson kind of does, where like he'll say hell is real because, you know... um, when where when you see a homeless guy on the street suffering, he's in hell. Well, that's not real hell. That's symbolic hell. Oh, isn't it? No, that's hell. And he kind of he blurs the line between the symbolic and the literal, and he kind of moves the goalposts for religious types or whatever. Um, and that's, he, I think, he's his an biggest, acrobatic apologist. Yeah, and out. I think that's like his biggest offense in my book because that shit. I don't know if in his head he realizes it's intellectually dis- dishonest, but it comes across as very intellectually dishonest. I think a lot of it, the things he said is that he says is dishonest as far as that he's tapping into anything new. I mean, really, he's just repeating a lot of things that have other. Uh, philosophical people have talked about in the past and he's trying to tap into this whole uh new age self-help thing uh and he's passing it on uh well i mean okay so i mean he has that okay and he's trying to pass it off as new knowledge that's where i have an issue with him but well, there's some things he gets sure plain I mean, wrong well i was gonna well, say like plain wrong like the biggest example is did you hear about the double helix thing no i did not hear that oh okay well in one of his lectures, he's showing his students kind of like, you know, symbolism from throughout the ages. And he's showing, I believe it's specifically a Chinese symbol, where it shows these two figures, male and female. And I think uh, they almost remind me of what do you call them? Nagas. As someone who used to play D&D, you might be familiar with Nagas. Remember those serpent people? Yep. yep. Um, well, it's like uh, humans from the waist up, snakes down. Right. And... They're kind of their tails are intertwined, kind of like a double helix. And he says right to his students that to him, this is the double helix. And this is saying something about DNA. And he thinks this is this kind of long encoded knowledge. Okay. You know, yeah, and then I kind like, of think I did hear a little bit of this. And then so, other yeah. people have said, basically, dude, this that's how snakes reproduce. Snakes yeah. coil almost in a double helix pattern. That's probably where the symbolism comes from. Right. Um, it's People didn't have some kind of 
universal or collective consciousness knowledge of genetic structure or DNA or whatever, you know what I mean? Of uh, the double helix within it, you know? Um, so, and there's that, and I think there's another thing he fudged where he's talking, I mean, it's a cool thing to talk about. He was talking about psilocybin mushrooms, and he was talking about berserkers, about Viking berserkers possibly using mushrooms. But I think he says it very confidently. And I remember hearing elsewhere, maybe he's right and my other source is wrong, that um, this is a misconception, that this is most likely an old wives' tale, and that uh, the Vikings, the Viking berser Norse berserkers, did actually... Uh, take hallucinogens, specifically not uh, psilocybin mushrooms. But maybe they did, and it was something other than mushrooms. Maybe they didn't take anything. But once in a while, you'll hear him say something confidently that just might be factually wrong, you know, aside from the fudging he does in other respects. Yeah, I just think that he's kind of re regurgitating old myths and other somewhat... Uh, uh, so, some other rhetoric that's already been passed on, and he's kind of reinventing it for the hoi polloi. Uh, well, def definitely for the uh, and and I he has an audience, okay. And to be fair, uh, there is an audience of uh, a disenfranchised uh, single white male, yeah, out there right now that feels as if that they're everybody's asshole. Uh, and I think that there is some rightfully so reasons to feel that way uh because it is right now that uh you know the reason everything is wrong in the world sometimes is passed on as a white man and i'm not you know obviously i think me and you've talked i'm not a white supremacist or not uh -huh. a hard writer or anything like mm -hmm. that but yes it's easy to think that that's what's you know the narrative out there right now right that uh, if you're a white man then uh you should just sit down shut up and uh you need to answer to all the griefs that have happened, you know, for the centuries. Well, and, you know, so the, the, he's kind yeah. of exploited this kind of uh, this kind of mantra, so to speak. Right. That's well, out it's there. funny. So. Well, I think you have to ask the question, like, how much does that actually manifest in modern politics and uh, especially oh, it, important? It happens every day. It's called yeah, you know, like. Policy. It's Fox News, brothers. That's what it is. You listen to Fox News. Oh, no, no. News, I'm talking Fox about... radio. You know what I mean? That's all you need to do. And, you know, right. you're already, you're, you're a perfect audience for somebody like a Jordan Peterson. Oh, yeah. no. What I'm talking about is um, if you live inside the YouTube SJW versus anti SJW bubble, then if you just, if you live in that rabbit hole, then it seems like these blue-haired college students are omnipresent and they're trying to blame you for everything around, you know, at every turn. Oh, hey, um, I've been hit with the, the PC far left. Yeah. Great feminist. What, That's nothing new to me. So I'm Right. Mean, but what, what I'm saying is, is, what I'm saying is, um, in real life, like, how does that translate into actual policy and stuff like that like is that do we have to worry about on a larger scale like an actual the, the actual world of politics the actual yes. world of policy yes, we do. about yes, the we um do. 
we have uh, to worry about this because the political is, correctness and stuff. Yeah, we have to worry about the political correctness, and we have to to also worry about the extreme response to the political correctness because mm. we've already had that. His name is Donald Trump. You know, well, that's you, that's what we got. You know, we uh, Donald Trump is a response to two different things. His response, mm-hmm. uh, he's the uh, the um, the protest vote to the status quo, and he is also a vote for against the the political correctness. So we have both of those things right now. Mm-hmm. So that's what we have going forward, and you have people like Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro. You know, these sort of, uh, which it it really makes me feel safe that the far right is saying that these are the intellectuals and they're (laughs) okay. Okay. I feel so much smarter knowing that those are the intellectuals I have to worry about out there. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we do have to worry about because they are feeding people that Mm. want to make policy based on these kind of ideologues. But you know, it's funny. And we have to... And I'm sorry to me to cut you off. Oh, it's okay. And it's your show, so you can cut me off anytime. No, don't worry. <laughs> we have to worry about that on the other end. Okay, uh, so uh, I won't mention names. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if depending upon how you want to do this, it, it's been cut from that episode that we had. Uh, but we had somebody that um, started talking about the whole Brett Kavanaugh situation. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I covered that on my show, yeah. Yeah, but uh, – that was brought up just kind of mid-conversation. I had nothing to do with what we were talking about. Okay. And how but that is a true referendum of white privilege. And my response was, why is that a referendum on white privilege? Well, if you look what happened to Brett Kavanaugh versus what happened to Bill Cosby, you'll see why. No, that's totally two different episodes Brett Kavanaugh, those subjects were brought up as a, you know, a, a totally different situation. I am not supporting or backing Brett Kavanaugh in any means. You know, a lot of that's he said, she said. But the Bill Cosby thing was decades of evidence uh, and multiple, you know, court hearings to actually finally find justice. You know, this is not a case of white privilege, and the fact that. You have somebody that was just, in fact, you know, he's a justice nominee. Right. He didn't become a justice nominee on the backs of Bill Cosby or the backs of another black man or. Oh, a, I, I see what you're or, saying. You know, so, I mean, where's the white privilege there? You know what I mean? There's a lot of disconnect out there with this, uh, you know, intersectionality ideas of, you know, of things. And, and that whole ideology i'm sorry it's a dangerous ideology well because because the the response to it breeds a lot of these ben shapiro's and and and, uh peterson uh esque people and i and i don't mean so much them because i think uh their words are dangerous i don't think their actions are harm or their actions are harmless but uh you know charlottesville and other things like that are things to worry about that's all yeah, what the hell is I gonna say? Um, Sorry, I went on a tangent. So no, but I was gonna say as far as uh, how poli- political correctness might actually pose a real world threat, policy making and shit. And it's funny because it seems like uh, it's weird how I remember when Islam 
was such a focal point for a long time, uh, especially in uh, um, in the kind of in YouTube atheist circles yep. where you had um, people kind of bashing Islam. Then you had uh, kind of politically correct types saying, you know, eh, it should be handled with uh, kid gloves there, you know, this and that. And um, I remember, I, I think I had a pretty good natured, common sense, rational approach to it. I never, uh, my policy was to never give Islam a pass in the sense that be just as hard on it as I've always been with Christianity. Point out uh, the dangerous aspects of the doctrine. Point out uh, the role of religion when it comes to terrorism and things like that, you know? Um, so in that way, I, I, I was often critical of uh, Islam a lot on my show. Uh, but at the same time, I tried not to do it in a way where I was blindly crossing over into bigotry or prejudice against someone just because of their their skin color or whatever. I mean, technically, anyone can be an, uh, can be a Muslim, you know? I right. Mean, um, right. Islamophobia is a bullshit term. Yeah, Islam is is not a race; it's a religion, no, exactly. and it, you should be able to criticize it the same way you criticize Christianity. It's if anything, I probably take more of a kid glove approach with Judaism. If I'm if I'm guilty of uh, taking more of a kid glove approach to any of the Abrahamic faiths, it'd probably be Judaism, just because of the legacy of the Holocaust, the way that the Jewish people, <laughs> the way the Jewish people have been treated. <laughs> Throughout history, the way they've been conquered, kicked around, shit like that because of anti-Semitism. Um, but also, I, I take a, a no-holds-barred approach when it comes to criticizing the Old Testament as a text, which is essentially, which is the Jewish Bible. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and, and I'm the same way with the Quran or whatever. Uh, but I, I've always thought that is the one area where political correctness could potentially be dangerous. Because if you have a I'm all right, you're all right, head in the sand approach to Islam, I mean, that could have real world consequences because it could affect the way you deal with um, potential terror threats. Oh, and yeah. Stuff like that. You know, I mean, I mean we, we had death threats over the we had a. Uh... Uh, I had a person fleeing Islam, and mm -hmm. actually uh, he left. He left. God damn, where did he leave? It's it's. I want to say Pakistan. I could be wrong. Uh, right. Where he was originally from, but he was in Scotland. Oh, ex-Muslims, man, they get it bad. Yeah, they get it bad. And there was shit that happened in Apostasy. Scotland that made him. Yeah, and that made him flee. Well, he spoke out where he was, and he had to leave. Uh, I want to say it's Pakistan. I'm sorry. I can't remember the second. But uh, it was somebody over in the Middle East. And he left there, went to Scotland. Something scared him in Scotland. And he went to, well, another country. I won't say where. And while he left, and, well, actually, it was after he he did a, he did a show with us talking about his exploits under a pseudonyme. Mm -hmm. So on... Uh, I guess, you know, like, uh, not Al Jazeera, but, uh, you know, the Fox News equivalent of Pakistan or whatever, was talking about him talking to a, uh, you know, a infidel podcast about his uh, his <laughs> portrayals. 
Wow. And he sent it to us. And I'm like, what the hell? And then he showed us where they were sending him pictures because uh, him and Matt, uh, I know this was a big deal where like all these atheists got, got abducted and uh, some of them were alleged dead because there was blood at, at the scene and stuff. Wow. Well, some of those people was, was his friends. Wow. So, yeah, so he was getting all these pictures and shit. And then we got shit on our uh, Facebook page, you know, sending to us about, uh, you know, do you see what happened kind of thing, letting us know kind of where we stood. You know, that's just, you know, it's fucked up is what it is. And, and, good, and kudos to, to this guy. I won't say his name. But uh, he came back and he, he did another interview with us. And he was basically like, yeah, and I'm still where I'm at. Kind of like, you know, I, I've changed where I'm at on Islam. It's still shit. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. I think just as recently as today, um, actually, right before we started this conversation, I was watching a. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Majority Report with Sam yes. Cedar. Yes, yes, yes. Well, one of the most re- recent clips on YouTube was Sam Cedar interviewing this guy who was just bashing the shit. Uh, Sam Cedar and. Uh, his co-hosts have a serious hate boner for uh, Sam Harris, but uh, yeah, yeah. they were, and it's funny because otherwise I tend to enjoy the majority report and I'm not a huge Sam Harris fanboy. To be honest, I haven't listened to his uh, waking up podcast in probably a few months now or something, but um and after a while, the whole Islam thing gets tiring of talking. You know, it gets tiresome of talking about it or whatever. But um, this guy, and this was now. This was just like it looked like the video was just uploaded tonight. Was like totally bashing Sam Harris for demonizing Islam. Really? And, yeah. And uh, I wonder if I can find that fucking video. I like it. You know, I really like Kyle Kalinske as my go-to. Oh, I lo- yeah, I love Kyle Kalinske. I like him and Jimmy Dore. Uh, are, are, so since you're kind of looking there, freelancing, what's your deal with uh, Delahanty? What's your opinions there? Oh, I just, um, just as a human being, as a person, yeah. I find him, um, I just find him off-putting. He comes across as kind of cold or smug or something. Yes. Yeah, you know I, what I comes mean? He like, comes like an arrogant asshole to me. That's what he is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of things he says, but okay. – uh, and, and he'll be like over-pedantic at times on things where he's just beating a dead horse. And it's like, dude, you're just going on about nothing for nothing just to sound intelligent, you know? I don't he know. Just, uh, I don't know. Somebody, he kind of seems to lack personal warmth or just seems, seems kind of smug or something. Yes. I don't know. But, okay, I found the video. Sure. Sorry, go ahead. This no, video ahead. was uploaded two days ago, and it's entitled, Experts Agree Sam Harris is a Joke. Oh, and it's geez. just it's just all about um, how Sam Harris is completely wrong about Islam. And... Uh, it even talks about like the more violent uh, portions of the Quran, uh, you know, kind of go-to uh, quotes or verses that you know stuff about killing the infidels and and kind of tries to kind of whitewash those and say, oh, oh well, those are actually poorly translated. 
this sure. is actually information for uh, this is telling you how to act when the infidels attack you first. And in, in this oh, kind of thing. okay. Okay. And, and strangely, it has 281 up votes and zero down votes. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, yeah. I tell you, hey, there has been some weird shit going on YouTube. Have you noticed on your page, too? Because Jimmy Dore did a whole episode on it, and I thought, oh, that's weird. The next thing I know, today, I lost 120 subscriptions. Lost 120 subscriptions on what? Yes, on YouTube. Oh, shit. Uh, I can look now. Yeah. Yeah, he was talking about uh, similar things about like uh, having like a, an over amount of likes and versus no likes and other weird shit. So I don't know if it's an algorithm thing or what. So because like yesterday I had like almost eight hundred view or eight hundred subscriptions and now I'm like six hundred and some. I have four thousand five hundred ninety two. Oh, fuck you, by the way. Uh, move on. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, dude, you know, I'd love to brag, but I'm sure, like, a great deal, a great deal of those um, of those subscribers are probably because uh, I don't do it so much anymore, but when I first started my channel, like, here and there, to draw eyeballs, I would upload, like, little Hitchens clips and stuff like that, or nice. Bill Maher clips. So I bet you, man, I mean, I shouldn't, I guess I, I shouldn't uh, be too hard on myself or, like, kind of downplay my accomplishments too much. Because that's, no matter what, that's still, I guess, a decent amount of subscribers. You get, like, a shitload on, like, uh, your, like the Bethamat and... Uh, Krampus all and all those things. Yeah, so I'm sure that has a lot to do with it too, man. Yeah, like my so. Baphomet documentary at the moment has 3.6. Yeah. My Krampus one has like at least 20-something thousand. My oh, Saint, yeah. My St. Patrick one has like 30-something thousand. Nice. Um, but then you look at... um, I did one, it was a response to a debate Peter Singer had with the yeah, theist. 43 good. views. 43 yeah. views. And then, you know, I did one on that U.S. missionary who was killed. Yeah. And that got 3.9 thousand views, <laughs> 94, 94 likes, only four dislikes. And I'm like, man, that ain't bad. But then you look at my David Bowie one. And I'm like, David Bowie, fucking household name. David Bowie is huge. And I'm like, 76 views. I don't yeah. know. I don't understand. I don't know what the hell is happening. It, it's so hard to predict how something will perform. Yeah, and the audio YouTube. the audio stuff's harder to track. And even when you do, it's all over the place, too, for me. Anyways. Yeah, it's like how much so. of it is coming from iTunes, how much of it is from the specific platform. You know, yeah. it's like, like, uh, but I'm like, really? David Bowie. I'm yeah. like, 76 views. Yeah. But then a dude getting killed by a remote tribe, thousands of views. <laughs> it's I'm crazy. Like, I have no idea, man. It's freaky. And I, I still don't know how, like... I try not to sound like, you know, like... Uh, um, like I'm being guilty of sour grapes or whatever. I still try to figure out how some people just get immensely huge doing the same thing, basically, that 
we're doing. I think part of it is, you know, okay, it's like, I'll give credit where credit is due. Some people have better, just a lot better quality, maybe more entertaining, more entertaining presentation than I have. But there are some people who are doing stuff very similar where sometimes it's just uh, maybe a silly avatar or maybe just a still photo with someone talking over it. And they have hundreds of thousands of subscribers and they get um, their views are like, Ten in the tens of thousands every time, and I'm like, I don't know. I think part of it is networking. If yeah. you can be friend, if you can be friend like a uh, like a popular YouTuber or whatever. Um, and then uh, I was gonna say, I was gonna say because you were mentioning something about you liking my content and and saying that some of the stuff I do that you're like your stuff doesn't hold a candle to it. And it's funny because I feel that way about some of your stuff and i think we actually do two it's because oh, we uh, we do two entirely different things well I, true, true i do this kind of one man stuff i go back and forth from like stream of consciousness just giving my unadulterated you know spontaneous off the cuff thoughts on things to doing these little scripted documentary episodes or maybe script, scripted thoughts almost like commentary or opinion pieces and you do, you and John do these really solid interview, uh, you know, show, do this really solid interview based show. And I think you guys do an awesome job nice. of interviewing people. And I think it's a totally different thing than what I do. And I think it's probably understandable that we'd kind of both look at what the other is doing and kind of have like a grass is greener type of thing. Well, We're going, you the know? other thing is that when I started out, it was just me, you know, mm -hmm. so I have an appreciation for kind of like talking into into the void, so to speak, like you are, because that's hard, man. That's a hard thing to do. You know, uh, I tried think like the first episode or two, if I remember right, uh, was kind of like that for me. Uh, and then I had maybe one or two interviews, maybe another episode of just me. And then. I met John and he was my guest and then mm -hmm. I kind of like, well, fuck, I don't want to, I need to do this with somebody and me and him had are just like, we didn't, you know, we didn't meet until we talked and it just was like this kitzma of just, you know, we clicked and I was like, dude, I don't want to do this anymore by myself. You know, what do you think about coming <laughs> on? And he's like, okay. And that was it, you know, so it just happened to work out that way. But uh, I definitely appreciate what you do. And that's rough. I mean, like I've been sitting on this, George Carlin video for fuck well over a year. Uh, I have the video work done. I've even like written the narrative, but I just, every time I go to do it, it just doesn't come out right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's so tough to pull it off. I don't know if I, I'm almost to the point where I really think that I just need to look at the words again, polish it till I'm certain that this is what I want and maybe find somebody else to do the voice. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just, I, I know what I want, but I'm just worried it's, you know, I'm too close to it or something. I don't know. It's well, not it's, an easy thing to do. I think it's normal for creators to be hard on themselves uh, regarding their own content. Uh, I know I'm really bad like that. Like, um, it's funny. I'll record a show, and I'll be like, I think this is one of the good ones. This is going to be good. And I'll listen back to it again while I'm editing it. And I'm like, 
yeah, okay, it sounded good, it sounded good. And then for, like, quality control, I'll usually, I'll listen back once through, like, earbuds, I'll listen to it on the on the way to work or something like that, and usually, that's what, it's usually when I'm driving in the car listening to my own podcast, I'm like, I'll either find something I said that was kind of, you know, that was kind of off, or if it's an unscripted episode, you know, I'll hear all the little ums and ahs, or I'll see where I kind of where I'm being kind of repetitive. Other times, even if it's a, a scripted episode and I put a lot of care into the script, I might just think that my voice sounds shit that particular day or something, yeah. and I'm just like, uh, I can always find something to beat myself up about regarding uh my own content. It 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 never ends. I guess in a way, it's kind of a good thing. It, 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 not not necessarily a good or healthy thing, but in a sense, to, you know, if you're not t- too overboard with it, it means that you care and that you're passionate. It means you care about the quality and feeling like you can do better probably keeps you pushing to do better, um, which is probably a good thing. But if you're too neurotic about it, which I tend to be, you know, you just drive yourself nuts, you know, just <laughs> make yourself a nervous wreck feeling like the show's never, your work's never good enough. So so is that your way of saying, no, I won't do the voiceover for you? <laughs> oh, no, I'd probably, yeah, I'd probably do a voiceover. No, it's funny, though, man. No, it's funny, though, man, is like, probably like most of my life, people have, uh, most people have like complimented me on my voice or they've like laughed at me because but if they're not a new englander you know people like find my accent funny or people like told me my whole life that my voice is too loud or this and that but other people you know i've had i do sing and i've had people throughout my life tell me i should be a singer i've had teachers tell me oh your voice sounds so good reading you know during class you should do this and that and then um it sucks because I was recently talking on the show about how, and I bitch about this on the show way too often, how I have a history of asthma and uh, my two favorite things to do in the world are probably podcasting and singing. And yet as an asthmatic, I'm I'm not a, like really bad asthmatic where I have to worry about going to the emergency room or anything, but if I don't take like a controller drug, I'll end up with like a tightness in the chest. I'll just feel run down and shit, you know. And um, unfortunately, most modern asthma drugs tend to fuck with your voice, especially the inhaled steroids. Like they cause little powder deposits in your voice box, and over time, it can kind of like weaken your voice. So it's like. My two favorite things to do are things using my voice and the shit I need to keep me breathing right fucks with my voice. You know, so it's like, yeah. come on, man. And uh, so sometimes I'll be really neurotic or obsessive. I'll listen back to an episode. I'm like, does my voice sound weak? Does it have a crackle in it? Is that the medicine fucking with me? What is that? You know, and then well, also I just recently found out at the well, almost well, about eight months ago that I'm I have asthma, oh, and wow. John and John also has asthma. So hey, wow, there we go. That's another thing. Asthmatic <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, just trust us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, so I don't know if you have it bad enough where they'll try to give you a medicine, but oh yeah, I'm on uh, two different inhalers twice a day. Is one of them a steroid? Yeah. 
yeah, it's the steroids are what's thought to fuck with people's voices. And the theories are it's either the steroid itself weakens the muscles in the voice box, your vocal folds, or the steroid, just the powder itself, and and or the propellant are just irritants and mess with with your voice. Um, but yeah, it sucks balls. I try not to uh, obsess on it too much. Right now I'm on a, a really a small dose of, of an inhaled steroid and I take it once a day, even though I'm supposed to take it twice a day. And I, even though you... If you gargle, you can't rinse your vocal cords, you know, but still, they tell you to gargle when you take inhaled medications like that. So I gargle, I rinse, I try to stay hydrated. And I also do physical labor, and I kind of have a weird relationship with my brother where things are kind of tense. So I have a different kind of affect or or demeanor around my family. So my voice kind of tightens up. I speak more gutturally around my family. I'm also making noise with my throat as I'm lifting heavy shit all day. So I'm sure that's bad for my voice too. But what are you going to do? Not to mention the asbestos and uh, all the other stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I've gotten more serious about wearing a mask because of that recently. I used to kind of say, fuck it, I I don't need it. I can work with insulation without a mask. But, uh, no, yeah, not a good idea. Not a good idea at all. All those little microscopic uh, particles getting embedded in your lungs. So when you're telling me about uh, you're having a bad day at work and you start doing his mantra stuff, I'm like envisioning like your brother's like, oh, we got to go up to the second floor. And like, no, no, Phil's up there fucking around. We got to wait another week for that renovation. You know, <laughs> it's not like this shit that goes on. No, no, man. It's actually, you'd be surprised. I'm like on it. I'm, I'm, uh, I work nonstop all day. So I'm probably like in between a carpenter and like a, a helper. So I'm like, gotcha. I'm doing real carpentry work, like doing trim work, doing real like demo construction. And I'm also the one unloading all the shit off the trucks, uh, you know, unloading the heavy power tools in the morning yep. and loading them back up. Um, if my brother suddenly needs a tool, you know, I'm being yelled at to get this and that all day. So it's like nonstop physical work from the time I get there till the time I leave. And, uh, I don't fuck around. Like when I'm talking about doing mantras in my head and stuff, that's while I'm doing like a repetitive laborious task and I'm I'm doing it to kind of keep myself busy and sane while I'm plugging away doing this physical stuff. But yeah, I, gotcha. I, ne- I never. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm half heartedly fucking with you, man. Really, so yeah, that's oh, okay. no problem. <laughs> yeah, we don't even do yeah. 15 minute breaks, man. It's like we get we take like one half hour break a day, and it's all physical labor the rest of the oh, day. Oh, that's rough. It's a fucking that's pain rough. in the ass. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I worked uh, like three summers for like the the highway maintenance out here. Oh wow! Yeah. So we did that, and then uh, when I first got married. Uh, yeah, when you know my former marriage, my former life of imprisonment uh, before I got happily divorced. But uh, <laughs> or whenever I first took up with her, she uh, her dad was in the heating and cooling business, so uh, I kind of got uh, somewhat uh, brought in as an apprentice, uh, not so much under him, but under his lackey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, neither one of them wanted to climb heights, 
So, like, if there was any sort of job <laughs> that had heights involved, I was the guy stuck on the roof, you know, doing the insulation on the roof, all that kind of shit. So, so yeah, yeah I feel I feel some of your pain. I, I'm sure you have me beat a thousandfold, but still. I was uh, terrified of heights as a kid. Back in high school, we, we had to do this thing called Project Adventure, where they'd, like, fold up the bleachers in the school auditorium, and we're talking about high bleachers, and you had to scale up this wall, and you'd be wearing, like, a harness. Then they'd make you, like, jump off the top. Then they'd take you out in the woods and make you, like, climb beams in between high-up trees. And I barely passed that shit. And, um, but quickly, though, quickly when I joined the family business my fear of heights just like vanished because it's just, it just became commonplace after being up on a roof a few times. That was it. The only time where I still might get freaked out by heights, it has to be like, let's say like an old school, like three story building, some really high building where you're on a rickety thin plank and you're like, you know, you can feel the plank moving under your feet and you got to walk and there's nothing to keep you. You know, you're not wearing a harness or anything that might still freak me out a little. But for the most part, I actually enjoy now going up on top of roofs and stuff. Doesn't bother me at all. That's cool. Mm. Yeah, no, I kind of I, I kind of get off when once in a while someone will see me up on a roof and they'll be like, how do you stand being up there? I'm like, if you only knew when I was a kid. Absolutely yeah. terrified of heights. Terrified. It's not so much me. Like, it's the getting down for me that gets me <laughs> a little un- unedged. Getting up there and being up there doesn't bother me. It's getting down that I'm like, oh, shit. Well, know. that's always a little tricky. You got to make sure that first swing of your oh, leg on the yeah, ladder. Yeah. You got to make sure that foot lands in the right spot, man. Yep, if you that's slip. it. Yeah, as long as you make make it onto the the first, not the first rung, because technically you're not supposed to stand on the first rung, but the first rung your foot touches, you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, as, as long as you get a solid footing uh, with that first swing of your leg, then you're all set. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to fall uh, from a, you, you don't want to fumble that first uh, attempt off the roof. It's funny. Uh, uh, yeah, where were we? <laughs> I have no idea. No idea. Yeah. Uh, same hater, same Harris, Bat de la Hunty. Yeah, the uh, but that was interesting. Like, I know, like, some of my listeners will prop, like, uh, I have, um, I think I have a pretty, I don't know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think how I characterize. My my audience, um, I think maybe like myself, for the most part, you know, they're just skeptics who tend to lean left, and uh, I'm I'm just I'm just predicting that uh, a, a bunch of them are probably gonna come at me for not pushing back at all on like the Trump stuff. So, on <laughs> like the because uh, I know you're not a Trump supporter. Oh no, but I'm not. they might like they might take issue with. Um, because you're actually on their side, and I'm on the I'm yeah. anti-Trump too. But what you're saying is, your thinking is that the really excessive kind of over-the-top Orwellian PC stuff um, feeds into what fueled 
Trump. It's that people get really sick of that extreme political correctness stuff and being told how they should act and what they can say that it makes them reactionary. And that was part of the allure of Trump. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and it's not even being the, uh, and and I want to totally just step away from the idea that, uh, well, people have been too progressive. No. In fact, uh, polls show, studies show, it's pretty clear that uh, they're not left enough when it comes to policy and, you know, progressive ideals. It's this nonsense of the verbiage. Right. uh, That that drives people nuts. You know, I mean, most people agree on some of the ideas of, you know, um, you know, healthcare for all and a living wage and, you know, having some sort of educational system that actually makes fucking sense. What, you know, know, it's funny. I think on YouTube and it's, I spend so much time on YouTube, um, mostly because, uh, you know, it's a platform, I use to try to promote my podcast and also, uh, you know, I can't lie. I'm, I'm definitely something of a YouTube junkie too. And I watch all sorts of content creators. I hate watch some, and then there's some I really love and agree with, you know? Um, and, uh, the whole SJ, I kind of, I resent people on both sides of the spectrum. The, uh, the really anti SJW types. I just find these kind of, uh, you know, these really just kind of annoying, abrasive, troll-like figures. And then the really extreme SJW types, like you're saying, the ones, it's all this kind of new speak, thought policing, speech policing. That's very uh, problematic, too, to borrow one of their own words, I suppose. Um, But I think you're right, at least on YouTube, where... I think Trump had a huge online following and support system. And there's a lot of fucking young knuckleheads, uh, alt-right and alt-light types on YouTube who really supported Trump. And I don't know how much momentum he gained just from online activity and support. But I think... but. That was a force, man. And we talked about the last time how I was resentful of people like Stefan Molyneux and uh, Sargon of Akkad. These people who aren't even... uh, I have a lot of listeners who aren't American. But what bothered me was these two guys... One's Canadian, one's English. And they were promoting the hell out of Trump. They were promoting Trump like I've never seen. Totally in the bag for him. And I'm like... We're the ones that are going to have to live with this orange abomination. You guys don't even live in this country. Yeah, you might make an argument that U.S. uh, policy will affect you too because uh, the U.S. is such a presence as a superpower. But uh, you had these people, I don't know, you know, you had people like Stefan Molyneux and Sargon of Akkad leading like this fucking troll army of Trump supporters. And I wonder how much steam Trump got out of there. But I think at least in uh, online, you're definitely right that there was a reactionary thing where it was the anti-PC types that were really pushing for Trump. In in the quote-unquote real world, like the average everyday Joe, um, 
a lot of them probably just didn't like Clinton. A oh, lot yeah. of them, a lot of them, I think, were just sick of the uh, the status quo, cookie cutter, bullshit stuff suit politicians on both sides, both sides of the aisle, and they were um, ready for some something new, something different, someone that wasn't like a polished career politician. And boy, did they get it! They they got the, they got that and some. Um, Trump, I mean, it's unbelievable. Like I was saying last time, I still wake up and can't believe the guy's president. It's absolutely absurd. I agree. Um, it's absolutely nuts. But I just thought I'd like clarify that with you because I didn't want people to mistakenly think you were some kind of Trump supporter and then I have to explain why I oh, didn't no. push back or I'm something. I'm not a Trump supporter, but I am absolutely not a Hillary Clinton supporter either. Mm. I'm not a Democrat supporter or a Republican supporter. At this point, because uh, quite frankly, neither party supports the people. I mean, I think that's abundantly clear if you look well, at the facts. You're right. You're right about how, um, you know, in a sense, and I think this is something Kyle Kalinsky argues a lot that uh, the Dems are basically like conservative light. You know, it's yeah. like where the where the Dems are now is probably something you know probably not too too far from the conservatives of uh 20 years no, and ago or whatever. You could thank the Clintons for that because mm. they paved the way for this. Mm. That's I mean Bill Clinton was the answer to Ronald Reagan and he sold yeah. that same idea, hey, we could talk the bullshit and still get paid. So that's all everybody else needs to do. And guess what? That's all everybody else has done since. You know, whenever, yeah. whenever the, one of the, the largest spokesmen for your party has a Nancy Pelosi, the only thing she can cite for, you know, her career is that she has been able to raise more money than anybody else in the history of her party. Wow. Yeah. What an accomplishment. What an accomplishment. I am so, like- so proud to be a Democrat. I'm not. I consider myself a left-leaning independent because I'm so distrustful of yeah, both sides. I, I, and, I would agree with that as well. In general, I would agree with um, that as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very disheartening. And even like we talked last time, I voted for Obama twice. I I like a lot of people was kind of taken in by his. Uh, was it the DNC speech he gave before he even ran, where he gave this very, very um, uplifting, almost Kennedy-esque uh, the talk or whatever speech? Yeah, I think so. And um, and uh, I thought, I'm like, this guy's got to be something special. I can, you know, even as someone who's like a skeptic, who's about evidence and who's down to earth, I, I just felt like I almost felt in my bones, like there's something special about this guy. And then remember, then he ended up being uh, pretty much like the average politician. And remember how both he and Clint, uh, Hill, I don't know what, I, I almost called her clittery or something. Remember <laughs> how, remember how much they dragged their feet on gay marriage and then yep. both magically turned around on it when they saw what the, what the public sea change was or public. Well, Hillary spoke out vehemently against it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was, she was all about the whole idea that marriage was between a man and a woman. So, you know, that it was a holy or, uh, uh, sanctimonious kind of thing. I can't remember what the term she used, but yeah, she, I mean, she, she's, union yeah, she's, she's been like, I mean, everybody always got a Mitt Romney for a flip flopper or uh, John Kerry for a flip flopper. Mm-hmm. Oh, those guys look like stoic individuals. They're resolute. Yeah. 
when it comes to Hillary fucking Clinton, okay? I mean, let's think about this. She lost the Democratic nomination to a man with a Muslim name how many <laughs> years after 9-11? Mm-hmm. Think a black man, too. Let, let's throw that out there, too, because I think that's important, okay? Well, we already talked, I think, last time about... Uh... Bernie getting chucked under the bus, oh, totally railroaded by the DNC, unbelievable. And yeah, uh, but that's also they could run her. That she was the one to run her. Yeah. So I just yeah I I despise her. I despise the Clintons. Uh, I I am uh, skeptical about Bernie at this point as well. Let's be honest. I agree yeah. with a lot of ideas he has, but. Uh, I don't think the best idea is to funnel people through the DNC. Yeah, well, already... I think Bernie's just, I think he's, I don't know if age is necessarily a consideration, but I think, yeah. I think it's maybe something akin to that where he just seems like tired or I don't know if he has the spirit to win. I don't know if he, I don't know if he necessarily fights as hard as what's needed or called for. And I think even his own supporters felt that near yep. the end. They felt that he just gave up too easily. Oh, and I, I don't agree. know if it's worth running him again, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, the whole idea of running people through the DNC as opposed to a third party, yeah. I think a bad idea. I think we need a third party. I think we need about five parties. Yeah. You know, why does a country like the size of Norway have nine? You know? Uh, there's just, it's just too many different, uh, nuances, uh, to, to be divided in this country to two different ideologues. And also, uh, you know, I think this is something Kyle Kalinske talks about in whatever you, uh, you might, and by you, I mean, kind of like the audience in general or whatever, um, might think of the young Turks. I think the young Turks and Kyle Kalinske are right with the, uh, getting, fighting to get money out of politics yes so you can, i mean i think that keeps so many politicians complacent or um just keeps them caring more about their positions and the lobbyists than it does about actually getting anything done for people yes it does. i mean really we don't have an answer uh whatever uh i think it was john oliver of all people did a uh, really big expose on uh what what it is a day in the life of a, a senator or a congressperson, um, where pretty much sixty uh, percent of your time in office is raising funds. You're so actually crazy. on the phone soliciting money. So how is that representation? Exactly. I mean, really, uh, we are beyond a Tea Party moment, and, and I I know the idea of a Tea Party. That's a whole other conversation, but you know what I'm uh, saying. I know what you're saying, man. Not a right-wing tea party, but just no. real change where yes. you push politicians yeah. to start actually doing yeah. something. For, yeah. If for it wasn't people. for the fact that the education system and the uh, the dumbed-down uh, economics, and I mean that more ways than money, uh, mm-hmm. that has occurred in this country that we haven't had pitchforks and, and uh, <laughs> torches in the streets and, yeah. and stuff. You know, it, it's just, it's, 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 uh, don't get me started. Okay. I'm going to sound yeah. like Alex Jones before this is over because it truly is just insane that we are where we are. Okay. The fact that Donald Trump got to yeah. where he is 
the, the fact that he even got on the platform, let alone to the nomination position, should tell you where we are in this country. Okay? Yeah, it's basically, uh, you know, people try to speak about his um, his kind of financial acumen and uh, all this, but it's oh, like, shit. fuck it, you know, all the bank, even though like people try to, you know, engage in apologetics concerning his bankruptcies. Oh, it's normal for a businessman to be bankrupt four or five times or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. It's like, come on, man. And and that, I mean, just this pompous stuffed shirt, silver spoon in mouth, fucking, uh, buffoon of a human being, fucking reality show star. Um, and kind of, I said it before and I'll say it again. The biggest problem with the election was between those two people. You had Hillary Clinton, who is represents everything that is wrong with politics and politicians, and you have Donald Trump, who represents everything that is wrong with people in America. Oh, that's so brilliantly put, man. And I think you're right. I think the idea that people on mass voted for that guy. I mean, yeah. it says two things. It says you should worry about who certain, you know, a certain demographic is composed of or well, whatever. So and a uh, percentage of them though, that did vote for him because of those, you know, idiosyncratic, you know, reasons. Okay. Cause they did identify with a certain, uh, ideological, you know, reasons that he puts forth, but there is also that protest they, vote. The pro- yeah, and, yes, that's what I was going to say. And, yeah. and there's two sides of that protest vote. There's only probably, and I'm I'm not a mathematician, I don't have a lot of data to support this, but I'm sure if you look at it, the probably half the vote of for him was a protest vote. And I think it's pretty fair to say that the 40, what, 3 or 8% of, of Americans that didn't fucking vote, that's a pretty strong protest votes, folks. Okay, there's a reason why people didn't show up. These are the most uninspiring two people you can ask for. Oh, absolutely. Like, Hillary, as left-leaning as I am, it's just, well, I shouldn't have to apologize for having taken issue she's with Hillary She's not a Clinton. left-leaning person. Exactly. She's not left. Exactly. She, exactly. She's a very big Republican. If she, she's like Margaret fucking Thatcher. She is that person. I'm sorry. Okay? I mean, you could bullshit yourself all you want. MSNBC and you know uh, CNN and all those people. She is not a left wing candidate. She's just not. She's yeah, left of Trump, and that doesn't mean much. And I think in part shows you how much people disliked her for being be willing to vote for him. And there's still certain aspects of like voting for Trump that I just find unforgivable on like a human decency yeah. level. But it's like. Even all the shit, like, you, I think we talked last time about kind of the history of political sex scandals and how there used to be a time where oh, yeah. politicians couldn't survive a sex scandal. But then you had, like, Bill Clinton surprisingly survived a few. Uh, and I'm, not, I'm talking pre-Monica Lewinsky when he was running, you know. The, sure. Well, what uh, about, uh, speak of Hitchens, what about no one left to lie to? I mean, he wanted a fucking oh, tour. Yeah. Uh, you know, his fucking scandals and sexual assaults, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, you know, again, everybody accused of Hitchens being a, a leftist. He was anything but, you know what I'm saying? But, I mean, he didn't, yeah. he didn't really care. He was just, 
you know, a band, you know, uh, what the uh, man of all seasons, is that the way you say it? You know, he just didn't really give a shit of what, what side of the fence you were on. Yeah, he kind of, he it, called it like he saw it in a yeah. very eloquent way. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Unapologetically. Beyond, yeah. Far beyond the skills that without, I have. Without partisan concerns. Absolutely. Um, like, uh, but man, it's like just shit like the, uh, well, sadly, like we talk, I think we talked about the birtherism shit last time. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's insane. That's when I really first started to dislike Donald Trump. Before him waving the birtherism flag, I just considered him this kind of like entertaining, this entertaining kind of living cartoon figure from New York or something. You know what I mean? Well, I, um, I must admit, I must admit that that was still in my, my heyday of. Uh, uh, right wing. Oh, uh, deep, I think you were saying evangelical. that. Yeah. yeah. So that was the probably the last myth that uh, the right wing was ever yeah. to sell me, it's... and I was skeptical about it. But uh, I, I would say that I was far from uh, anti any of it. You and it's know, like at it, the end of the day, despite the evidence, you know, we even had, I think it was a Republican governor or whatever she was of yeah. uh, Hawaii sticking up for, vouching for Obama and his, you but, know, that he was born hey, there. I never saw that. You never I saw it. Yeah. No, Where's the long because, form? Because I was in the bubble that never, that never saw that. But it's like, you know, even if he was born on Mars, he was born to an American mother, which I think makes you a citizen, right? So it's like, who gives a shit? But again, I was in that bubble, and yeah. that's the problem. We are all in our own bubble. And it's a way of trying to other him, make him the other, you know? Ooh, yeah. the dark man born abroad, you right. know? But if, but if you're in your own bubble of fake news or whatever news mm-hmm. that's being sold to you, you're going to believe whatever. I mean, again, maybe Hillary Clinton's a good person, but maybe she just buys into the whole soup that everybody in Washington is selling her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, right. uh, I mean, everybody goes on about the Hollywood elites and stuff. Well, the Hollywood elites only believe what they believe at cocktail parties and stuff because they're just they're totally disconnected from the real world. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I don't really get mad at these people if I don't, you know, if I don't agree with them and I think they're being elitist. I mean, I might get a little upset, but at the end of the day, I don't think that they're a horrible person because of it, because they are only stuck in the bubble they know. They don't understand what's going on in the common man. You know, I mean, that's a huge that's a huge deal. And as far as and another thing about her is she is one of the most disingenuous politicians. You know, she is so unhonest in her delivery of anything that she says. I mean, you know, regardless of flip flopping, she could probably get past that if she's tried to be honest. You know, everybody mm-hmm. says, well, she's a bitch behind the scenes. And that's always been something that the right wings try to sell. Well, you know what? If she is a bitch, great. I wish she would fucking own it. Come out, <laughs> come out and say, you know what? I'm a bitch because these are serious issues, and sometimes you have to be a bitch, and mm. that's the way it is. I would fucking applaud her. You know what I'm yeah, saying? And you know, if, just be fucking who you are and, and just fucking own it. Especially if she was fighting for important issues that would better people's lives and she yeah. was sincere well, about even it even if she wasn't i would feel better about her you know what i'm saying <laughs> i would at least at least acknowledge okay i know who she is yeah people you respond know, could, to sincerity yeah, yeah just be fucking honest she is she is the most unhonest person that is i mean she is she's a bad actor okay that's what it is she's a bad actor 
politicians are generally actors, and she sucks at it. I mean, oh, she. The, the, oh, the, that kind of actor. Okay, I guess. Yeah, you know what I mean? Even that. Mm. I mean, remember when she finally, uh, the DNC uh, nomination hearing or whatever, you know, the big shit blue or what, and she's up there and the balloons fall, and she's like, oh, look at the balloons. I didn't know that was going to happen. You know, she tried <laughs> to put on that face. It was so just, come on, really? You know, she's just so fake. She's the plastic person that everybody knows, that everybody's yep. met. Everybody has met that person at the end of the phone trying to sell you something you don't want to buy. You know? I mean, well, she is fun. that person. I think both on the left and the right, like, she epitomizes the career, the bullshit career politician. Yes. And then on the right, they were running the same kind of animal just from the other side of the aisle. Yes. Like the Rubios and the yes. smarmy fucking Ted Cruz. So, and oh, that's what people that had to choose from. That's insane. Believe. Yeah. And I don't think uh, Benito or Bento, or whatever the fuck his name was. I can't remember his name. I don't think uh, he was anything. Oh, than, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't think he was anything that they're trying to make him out to be. Nah, I mean, but, like, he used to be in a band, and so you'd think I'd be able to relate yeah, to that. He's still, I just look, I look at been, him and... He's a bit of a corporate scumbag, too, but uh, I, st- I still, come on. I mean, yeah, he's what, supposed who to would be, he for besides Tom Cruise? Yeah, he's supposed to be, like, the cool, edgy, kind of punk candidate and i look at i don't i don't see it i just see no. kind of a doofus no yeah there's no i don't see any obama-esque uh young obama-esque charisma there or anything like that no like i don't obama see that out circle, there at all with anybody like obama circa that 2004 speech i i don't see that with anyone either there's like uh what's her name i, I know i'll butcher it uh aoc yeah, yeah and like maybe. and she's like one like i want to believe in her but maybe it's because she's still so young she's only like 29 but she kind of uh makes some bad moves or puts her foot in the mouth in her mouth some but she does a lot of good shit too like yeah uh, she was tweeting like moment by moment what was going on and the whole uh orientation of being a new senator yeah. and you know whenever they met the lobbyist and the lobbyists are telling them how it is. That's day fucking one. Yeah, that's that's an eye opener that people need to pay attention to. Well, I would definitely whatever criticism you know? I might have of her, I would take her before most other politicians. Oh, yeah, and so but I, I think it was just uh, Pacman because I was listening to David Pacman's podcast yeah. today, and he gets in trouble because sometimes he'll try to hold her to account if um. She does something that's not, maybe not the most wise move. Like she, I guess she got into some kind of Twitter back and forth with Trump's asshole son with Don Jr. Yeah. I and I think that. it ended up getting like the best of her. And it, she came off looking like she was trying to use her new political clout to like threaten him or something, which I to me, that's not a big deal, but yeah, it doesn't come off looking good, but I'd still take her a million times over before, uh, Trump or his son or any other politician oh, for the most part. Yeah. yeah I'd and take some her of that stuff you can forgive her. You can forgive her. I mean, she's like 29, you yeah. know what I mean? So you can forgive a lot of little things like that. As long as her policy stuff is sound, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. And who's the shit? Who's the the girl that left the DNC for Bernie? 
Oh, what the hell's her name? Tulsa Gabbard. Oh yeah, yeah. I think she's fantastic too. Uh, those two. I don't are... know much. I don't know much about her, but um, uh, I think Rogan may have had her on. I'm not sure. I'm not uh, sure. Look, check her out. She she's the bomb. Both of those two, I would back hardcore. Is she a? Uh, uh, is she ex-military? Is she yes. That? Yeah, That's I think she was a Green Beret. I think we need more. So. I think we need more vets in politics. People that actually understand the cost of war and know what blood and guts are, you know, and, and the horror of war up up front, you know, up front and personal. Well, I hope so, but, you know, sometimes it doesn't always translate because, you know, I don't think anybody uh, understands that more than John McCain, but he sure as hell fucking didn't mind sending people to war for no reason. Yeah, I so. think the problem with him was he was so idealistic and wanted to fight for the quote-unquote right cause so much that even though I think his heart was in the right place, he ended up making some, like, sometimes he would make regrettable hawkish decisions or whatever. He came off as hawkish at times, I think. Yeah, I, I would say he was overly hawkish, period. Yeah. That's, that's where me and you might defer. So, I mean, I appreciate uh, what he went through, but that's about where I end with it. And there's so. another reason to find Trump utterly disgusting. The way uh, he's really tallying up these kind of affronts or insults to the troops. There's the McCain oh, yeah. thing. He, he likes people that aren't captured. Yep. Uh, it was too rainy out to, to uh, <laughs> pay tribute that day. Yeah, um, and he, what the, 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 the excuse was that uh, there was a plot... Uh, possibly assassinate somebody but oh, everybody else of the g group it's or whatever like, you came fat. out and, and putin made a big display yeah which i thought was a big fuck you to trump which i, I mean, thought was kind of funny i've never yeah. served but 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 that being said if you were around during a draft time and you hot hid behind all these deferments multiple deferments like cheney that's what oh, trump yeah. did and yep. then you act like you're fit to fucking lead the American people and to make military decisions. Fuck you. And then especially if you're going to talk ill of troops or veterans like McCain or whatever, it's like, get stuffed, you doughy piece of shit. Go out oh. in the rain and go out in the rain and get wet. Get wet, you piece of shit. Let's see what happens Ch to that. Cheney didn't have the balls to talk the shit that he did, and then they're about the same. Although, uh, you know. Uh, you could probably argue who made more uh, worse decisions for the troops, though. So mm -hmm. that's for sure. So kind of curious to see what that movie Vice is going to be like. Oh, well, I, w I would watch that just for the entertainment value yeah. because um, the entertainment factor. Because I, I hear Christian Bale is like a loose cannon in real life, but I love the guy's acting. I, I like yeah. Christian Bale. And it you just get the sense that he really enjoyed playing that character or he like poured himself into it. it it just looks like a blast to watch christian bale as dick cheney i i would definitely watch that and it would be interesting too just to see if you know there's always poetic license but maybe it gives you some kind of true idea of some of what what went on so there's that factor too it, it you know it's that uh, i have friends that are veterans and uh there's been several, you know, where we have uh, fake uh, Facebook stories about people dying or things trending. Mm -hmm. And anytime that there's anything referenced Cheney, they're always like, did he die? Did he die? 
You know, because they all fucking hate him. They all hate him. Oh, because he was like King Hawk, man, and he was another yeah. one of those deferming babies. They all babies. fucking hate him. You know, and there, you you wonder why, right? I mean, he was a fucking garbage of a human being. Mm-hmm. You know, and and another garbage of a human being. We just fucking laid the rest as in uh, George fucking Bush. All right. Oh I'm yeah. So fucking God, I fucking hate whenever people die. We have to turn the goddamn narrative. You know what? If you are a goddamn asshole when you're alive, guess what? You're a you're fucking an asshole, asshole dead. If you die. Yeah. And that's and that, the that fucking piece of shit was a fucking asshole. There's no fucking rhyme or reason of it. And okay? I almost did and a I thing. I hate this glorification yeah. of the left, of all the Bushes and everybody else, yeah. because Trump's such an asshole that now, oh, George, look at George Bush giving, giving uh, uh, the Obamas or Michelle Obama a piece of candy. Oh, isn't that so cute? Giddy, giddy, giddy. Did oh, yes. One more yeah. Kid, yeah. One war, war criminal, uh, criminal given a piece of candy to the uh, the wife of a, of another war criminal. I might add, uh, to you know, it, it just it should be okay, right? We should all just laugh about that. Fuck that. Well, there's so many. There's different. I mean, I can see why people on the surface find him like this, or found him like this kind of jovial uh, grandpa figure or whatever, you know, paternal figure. But it's like, uh, even as non-believers, I think, uh, I forget exactly what he said. You could probably look it up on YouTube or whatever. He had some shitty comment he made back in the day while he was in office about uh, atheists. Oh, yeah, I think someone, someone asked him something about uh, whether atheists should have rights to be atheists or whatever, what should happen to atheists. He had some real shit. Uh, they should saying. be considered citizens. Yes, that's it. Exactly, yep. that was it. I almost and there's a big uh, there's a big that. blowback about that too, saying all oh, that's that was a misquoted text. I I know for a fact I saw that in a documentary. There's a video of it. So I mean, it wasn't just like a happenstance. Somebody overheard this. I mean, there is actual evidence out there. I just haven't seen anybody bring it up since he's dead. So it's out there. I guarantee it. So yeah, I was almost going to do a video on that and it would have been interesting to see the reaction. I'm sure there would have been a lot of uh, kind of right wingers and Bush supporters who would t- take an issue with that. I, w- I was just going to do a quick, a quick little episode, giving my thoughts on his comments about atheists in the wake of his death. But I, n- I never ended up doing it. Yeah. But that would have uh, been interesting. He was a garbage of a human being. So and so is his son. Uh, so is the whole Bush family, as far as I'm concerned. They can all burn in hell. Unfortunately, then, uh, there is no hell, so yeah. you know we're all stuck with them. So, and also just like I mean, everyone makes mistakes and does like uncouth things in their life, but like this, like how you treat other human beings matters a lot to me too. And that's one of the reasons why I, I fucking hate Donald Trump is. You know, the whole grab by the pussy thing, all the yep. other horrible shit. And it's like George Bush. I mean, people have tried to write it off as him maybe being doddering and senile. But there's the shit about him, like, grabbing women's asses while he's sitting down in his wheelchair. And if it really was something like he couldn't control his hand or arms and had weak muscle control and his hand would accidentally fall on their ass while trying to take a picture with them. That'd be one thing. But if he was really like 
just thought he had the right to, I don't care how old you are, if you thought he just had the right to grab people's asses and shit, it's like, fuck him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the only thing with that is that there's been more than one uh, accusation. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I hate to say it like that because uh, I begins the argument that, you know, numbers matter. It's the credibility of it. But uh, it really looks like this is more than just that. With him. And I, I think there may even have been some so. accusations that went further back or whatever. Yeah. His, uh, wheelchair yeah. Days. There were some before he even took office that were kind of. Uh, yeah. So I'll leave it at that. I don't yeah. know how. I don't know how much validity there is to some of these things, but, uh, you know, if. Well, I was going to the... say. Uh, oh, sorry. But I was going to oh, say, God. like, probably wrap it up soon, but I was going to make a joke yeah, sure. how everything comes full circle with. Uh, the rumor about Barbara Bush being uh, Alistair Crowley's uh, granddaughter. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, ah, there it is. I guess that was <laughs> it. But uh, yeah, I got to take the mother of all peas, and then I have to go to bed for work tomorrow. I hear you, brother. But uh, do you want to plug your stuff before we say goodbye? Or Yeah, sure. I really want to do it. Don't matter. Yeah, go for it, man. Anything you want to mention, man, go mm-hmm. for it. Uh, so uh, we have... Uh, yeah, over a hundred some episodes in the can. Uh, the last episode, I think, before this was a, a really cool story with Stephen Hewitt, I believe is the gentleman's name, uh, talking about atheists and foxholes, which kind of leads into the whole hawkish stuff we could have been oh, talking cool. about. Uh, this guy's story, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but I'm telling you, it's like making a murderer kind of stuff. Wow. I mean, it's insane. Wow. I mean, truly, uh, I'm trying to, uh, uh, I'm definitely taking a mulligan as far as where we are in the uh, podcast world and trying to find him another platform to get on because his story, I mean, it should be on Netflix. I mean, the shit that this guy's gone through is amazing. Wow. Uh, Just for coming out, being an atheist in uh, a rural town and fighting some of the, the bullshit that goes around being a veteran and the whole flag, uh, and I'm not saying the the flag itself, but the flag uh, connection to Christianity and all that shit. Uh, actually, the Christian flag plays a big role in this too. So uh, wow. again, I don't want to give the whole story away, uh, but uh, probably one of the most interesting interviews we've done in a while uh, took me by surprise, actually. Um, but uh, so that's the most recently interview we did. Uh, as far as the podcast goes, so that but, that's available now. Yeah, because I yeah, want to check that out. So, yeah, so yeah, uh, everyone should check that out. But uh, no, uh, basically, we're not really steered away from the format so much as, uh, as I said, we're pub philosophers, which is uh, actually coined a uh, phrase by Julian Bagini. That's what he called us. Uh, so we just pretty much, uh, it's like, uh, Norman cliff. We sit around, try to solve the world's problems, but, uh, hopefully we're a little bit more, uh, a little bit more prepared than them, uh, as far as that goes. And we have, uh, some more interesting guests than, uh, the rest of the clientele cheers. So that's kind of how pretty much how the podcast has played out, uh, lately. Uh, we have had some pretty cool guests in the past, uh, Year the the later end of the year we had uh, Michael Shermer and oh, yeah uh, yeah uh, Sean Lawrence Carroll, Krauss right Lawrence Krauss and Sean Seth Carroll and- Seth, Seth Andrews. Andrews yeah wow man 
This is some heavy hitters, man. Yeah, Congratulations. So that, thanks. That was that was all great. Uh, definitely a bucket list some list of uh, guests we can cross off. I think the Sherman one might be the best. Uh, might be the best show we've done, honestly. Uh, just because it uh, kind of hit all the buttons, if you know what I mean, as a podcaster, you know what I mean. You just yeah. every all the questions are answered. It's it's fun. Things are going well. Uh, Andrew, Seth Andrews one's probably my personal uh, one, just because I have such a huge affection for Seth. Uh, just because I don't know, he was one of those people that uh, I gravitated towards. Uh, short of Hitchens after uh, or. During uh, my conversion or deconversion, as I was, so. yeah, yeah, and I mean, because he's got a compelling personal story. He was on the other side, so it's, oh yeah, and yeah. we have a lot, we have a lot in common, and that was another thing to talk about as far as uh, you know, being growing up uh, in that situation, being very fundamentalist of you know, not only of Christians but uh, in the right wing dogma mm-hmm. and. Uh, finding your way out and uh yeah just uh, uh just a great guy i can't uh, i don't want to babble too much because i'll sound like too much of a fanboy <laughs> no he is so, he's definitely a cool guy yeah and, uh i was gonna mention and this kind of ties into that that people should also follow you on twitter because you post some some dank atheist memes <laughs> yeah some pretty good stuff man you do Thanks. you do very well on on Twitter, you definitely right. want my ass on Twitter. I, I barely register on there, but you post some really cool stuff on there. Well, and uh, that's how this started was memes, really, right? Uh, because I, I and I don't know what you want to give. You want me to get into this now? Because I, I think I talked about this before, but uh, I, I was a law enforcement officer before, and I, whenever I came out as an atheist and. Uh, I started posting stuff on my personal page and actually got in trouble with my sheriff over it. Oh yeah. And, uh, so to try That's to a hell of a story too, man. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So to try to be anonymous, I, I came up with this page called the free thought profit, uh, which was kind of like, I liked the idea of the free thought project. Uh, although I don't agree with everything they say, I just mm-hmm. thought that was a cool name. And then, uh, George Carlin's, uh, what is it, uh, the nonprofits as an atheist or nonprofits, right? Oh, okay, yeah. So it was kind of playing words of that. So, like, okay, cool. And I just started sharing memes on there. And then the more I started listening to podcasts, I was like, man, I really want to, you know, try to expand more an activist, you know, a way of being an activist. And I thought that was kind of the only other way I could do it. And uh, that's what I did. And, like I said, I uh, interviewed John as an actual guest and talked him into being a, a, a co-host, and here we are. So that's how that went. That's so. awesome, man. I'm, I'm glad you guys are getting those big guests. That's crazy. You guys definitely deserve more, uh, definitely more YouTube love at least than you get. It's hard to get attention on on YouTube, but you guys are definitely way under sub, man. You guys have great content great uh interview style and you're getting some really big names there so hopefully Thanks. you know it takes off soon uh on on youtube i don't know how you guys are doing on the other platforms but on youtube if you guys uh watch the weekend out on youtube check out the free thought profit on youtube too man 
Thanks. I appreciate that. That's a lot saying from you, man, because you, you got it going on for sure. So, well, uh, definitely, I'm definitely still a small fish, but it's all relative. When you think like the average person probably has like two subscribers or something. So it's like, <laughs> it's not bad. Then you think of like PewDiePie or whatever. There's people out there with like 4 million subscribers. I don't get you know? to, I don't get PewDiePie. Am I the only run that doesn't get him? I mean, I just don't. Well, he was in the news today. I don't want to get d- digress into a whole another thing, but despite what the stuff he's sometimes accused of, I actually think he seems like a decent, likable young guy. So I kind of yeah. get, I kind of get the charisma, but it's still you're like, eh, he just seems like some average, somewhat charismatic young guy. But I, that I just, dude is. I, set I don't for understand life. the idea of watching somebody playing a video game as being something awesome. I don't. I just don't. Uh, I, you know what I think would be cooler? Uh, because you play D and D, right? Or role uh, playing brief, briefly when I was uh, when I was a kid, and then um, but I've played like Dungeons and Dragons video games, and like uh, there used to be a lot of role playing games way back in the day. We're talking like back in floppy disk era. There was well, shit I mean, like... I just think that because like I mean, we used to get like serious where we were, like almost write novels. Of mm-hmm. like actual, you know, plots and stuff that, you know, people would have to go through. I think personally, I'd rather watch or listen to that. You know what I mean? Oh, Some well, that's act- funny you mentioned that you because uh, was it um, the amazing atheist who has uh, uh, a side project called Deep Fat Deep Fat Fried, a podcast slash YouTube channel he does with his uh, best friend and his brother. Um, they do something as like put Patreon bonus content called something like Dank Dungeons and Drunken Dragons or something. They basically play D and D while they nice. get stoned and drunk, but they take it seriously. Like they get into it and they play it. For oh, real, I believe but, it. Yeah, but they I mean, they drink and smoke. Yeah, man, it could be a really good time. I mean, it could be really, uh, you know, could be really creative too. So it could be a lot of fun. So yeah. But hey, I know I know you're stiffed on time. So. <laughs> okay, thanks, brother. Anytime, man. I'll talk to you soon via uh, messenger or whatever. All righty, brother. Take care. You too. Bye.